Greetings, boy. The. This is Killstreak. The. And girls. The. This is Killstreak. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> this is Killstreak, episode 61. The. <laughs> Coming at you hot. Wait, you want to start? You want to start over? No, I don't want to start over. I just, uh, you know. Oh, okay. The way the way you the way you shook your head. No, I was I was just getting ready to tell you. That immediately you... checked out of the podcast. <laughs> made me feel like you wanted to start over. No, no. You just got to end a sentence on a noun if you want to. If you want to, mm. you know, hot as okay. an adjective. So you wouldn't say it's. You're right. Yeah. So th- that's all. Do you want to start over? <laughs> no, no. Let's okay, keep going. Great. <laughs> this is great. Uh, this is Killstreak episode sixty one. We are here to talk about Phantasm 2. I am Eric Goslin, joined as always by Mike Price. Z- Mike? Z- <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so angry. Got him. <laughs> oh, Mike, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah, it's uh, a lovely Sunday evening. Um, I posed for some engagement photos today. I was dreading it for really? a month, and it went okay. I haven't seen any of them, so. Wow. Yeah. Who'd you hire to play your fiance? Ooh. Because these are, <laughs> you're, you're just, this is a long con on your part, right? <laughs> I've never met Kenda. That's bullshit. That's true. It's not, that's not true. I mean, I've met her many times. You guys are going to be great together. Uh, <laughs> just a all the sincerity in the world. <laughs> yeah. But uh exciting news on the Killstreak front though. You're going to be visiting uh-huh. uh Los Angeles yeah. in uh, I guess next week or the week after. Yeah, a couple weeks. A couple weeks. Yeah. And uh does that have implications for two vaccinated boys to be sitting in the same room p- potentially recording a segment? It's hard to we'll say. See. And if there are any say. if there are any vaccinated quasi celebrities listening that want to Yeah, and you want to come on. <laughs> they want to come on and uh, help boost our listenership, uh yeah, please uh email please us at killstreakpod at gmail.com. Yeah, are you a celebrity? Who's our most famous listener, I wonder? If you're famous, let us know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Leave us a voicemail. <laughs> Yeah, please. Tell us how famous you Leave are. Us... <laughs> Tell us that we inspire you every day. <laughs> um, anyway, we're talking about Phantasm 2. The deuce. Man, the deuce. The dirty deuce. Uh, this movie's... Should we just get into our blood and guts check? Do you have anything else we want to talk about before we launch in? Um, I Let me try something a little bit different. I want to jump sure. into the movie, but I think because I've been reading this Great Don Coscarelli book, um, mm-hmm. which I want to continue to recommend to people. This is where you were pulling a lot of your info from last week, but it's called True Indie, Life and Death in Filmmaking, and it's uh, an autobiography by director and creator of the series, Don Coscarelli. But anyways, mm-hmm. I got a lot of great background, not just on this movie, but also sort of the time in between Phantasm and Phantasm 2. And perhaps yeah. before we jump into the blood and guts check on this movie, maybe I could just uh, drop a little bit of info about what exactly Don Coscarelli was up to. Uh, because this is a movie that came out uh, nine years after the first one. Yeah. Right? Yeah, almost a, almost a decade. Like definitely a, a good chunk of time. Yeah. Um, so 
for for anybody who I mean, I think we kind of touched on this last week, but the first Phantasm was was a success uh, financially. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, critically even just for a movie of its kind, I think people were pretty, you know, uh, fond of it, uh, in the critical world. And one of the things that, uh, was interesting is that Don Coscarelli perhaps rightfully assumed that his big success of, of, of independently making and financing Phantasm, uh, and then getting it to become somewhat of a, you know, a midnight sort of hit if you will, he figured he'd have like a bunch of jobs just waiting for him. Right. People, right. People dangling stuff, throwing stuff at him, but uh, not really the case. Um, And I will say this, as you read the book, he is very, I mean, first of all, he's a really interesting guy. He seems like a really nice guy. However, yeah, he does. He also has a little bit, and this is me just theorizing and I can't support this at all, but there's a little bit of this, like, vibe of, of it's it's like the person who's like i i'm just so tired of drama um uh-huh. you know the the person who's like i'm just tired of people bringing drama into my life and it's like yeah and you're like well no maybe you're the one who's actually yeah. always doing the drama <laughs> right or are attracted to people who are full of drama right and so he's like very nice and magnanimous and he speaks well of most people but also there seems to be something that went wrong that wasn't his fault with almost everything for the first, let's call sure, it, 15 yeah. years of his career. Yeah, know? so there's a lot of just, like, projects that failed to launch, which I know is a very common mm-hmm. Hollywood thing. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's funny, because I, I listened to the audiobook, mm-hmm. and it, which is read by him. Right. And so I, I may have gotten a little bit more on his side sure. in that regard. You know what I mean? Because I'm like listening to him saying it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I can definitely see I can definitely see that yeah. point of view. Yeah, and I also wonder if it's not necessarily that he's like an asshole to people so much as it's just like maybe he has a tendency to paint things in a light that favors him. Because he also, sure. like, he talks about how, you know, his immediate thought was, well, I'll go back to... um Avco, you know, who had a great success like distributing Phantasm and see if they want to do this. And and he's like, and and they were like, no. And I was shocked. And I, and in my mind, I'm like, I bet it was a longer conversation than that. I'm oh sure. Like, yeah, I yeah, imagine yeah. that Avco wasn't just like, hey, we appreciate that you made us all this money with Phantasm, but we're not interested in doing this again with you. I think it's probably like, yeah, there's probably some stuff he's leaving out. Uh, like maybe mm-hmm. maybe the offers just weren't what he wanted, right? Because he does talk about that in the book a little bit. Like he kind of paints it like, oh, the opportunities weren't there. In reality, I think what happened after Phantasm is that people were just trying to give him more horror movies to do. Sure. Or people very quickly were like, hey, make Phantasm too, right? right. And that was something that for a that long just- time he said he didn't want to do. And I, re- I respect that not wanting to just like immediately do the next just to, not to pigeonhole himself. Right. He ended up doing I, I don't know if this was going spoiling anything you're about to talk about, but he ended up doing Beastmaster in between. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. And that that was a really fun set of chapters. Did you read those or did you I, skip? To the I read a lot of the Beastmaster stuff. I, I, I was moving fast, but. As you know that I also have a fondness for the Beastmaster, so I had, yeah, yeah, I had to check in on some of that stuff, and it was pretty entertaining. 
the thing I loved about those was that he was like, yeah, Mark Singer didn't like me. <laughs> and he like basically like wouldn't listen to him. Yeah. And he was a dick. Mark Singer was a dick totally to him. Big it, it pretty him on funny. the set. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Tackled him at one point. Tackled him. Yeah. I love that shit. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, but I still think we cast the perfect Dar. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Mark Singer's not really the perfect anything. Yeah. I mean, he's the perfect Butterface. Um, God, what a weird, what a weird <laughs> face that guy has. Yeah, if you guys haven't seen the Beastmaster, though, I highly recommend check, highly recommend oh, checking yeah. it out. It's it's great. Yeah, but that was the big thing that he did in between, and that was uh, I think it got released like three years after Phantasm. So that I mean, he got into doing it pretty fast, um, and that was another one that was like it felt. To him, at least coming out of it like a failure, and then it had like a real second life on video. Yeah, uh, and he doesn't speak very highly of it. No, he doesn't. Uh, and he's—I mean, it sounds like he struggled a lot with the, uh, you know, producer of that movie who he refuses yeah. to call by his name in the. Yeah, he in calls the book. him the commercial director. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a guy who directed Beastmaster Two. Yeah, um, which is. An insane movie for entirely different reasons. Also probably uh-huh. worth checking out. Uh, it's totally worth checking out. Yeah. yeah. But that one's a little bit more of like a troll two kind of you got to see this shit. Um, but anyways, uh, he also shot another movie called Survival Quest before Phantasm, but it was released afterwards. And I'll tell you, man, you must have heard about this a little bit in the book, but this is a yeah. movie I want to see now. I, I really want to see it, and you can't find it anywhere. Yeah, it's basically, it, it was described, not in the book, somewhere else, as basically being a cross between, what were the two movies? It was like, oh, fuck, I can't remember now, but. Uh, like Deliverance or something? Yeah, it's, it's like it's Deliverance like a- meets like a teen, like, like fucking, what's the, like, it's it's like Stand By Me meets Deliverance meets like uh-huh. the River Wild, basically. Like Lance Henriksen's in it. Yeah. And um Catherine Keener. Oh, Dermot Mulroney. Catherine Keener, his yeah. first ever yep. role. Yeah. So uh, I really want to see those. Yeah, we're gonna try uh, we gotta try to track that down. Maybe we can go in on a DVD or something and watch it while I'm in LA. Uh, oh, hell yeah. That could be fun. That could be our bonus content. <laughs> Just record, I'll do a live commentary of Survival Quest. (laughs) Anyways, food for thought. Um, But yeah, so point being, like he banged around for a while, uh, was attached for quite some time as the potential director of what became Silver Bullet, the adaptation Uh of Cycle of the Werewolf, the Stephen King graphic novel. Um, Had a, he had a kind of, and that was another thing where it's like, he was, he described his relationship with Dino De Laurentiis, who is the producer of that movie as also being sort of similarly fraught in the same way that Beastmaster shook out. Right. Yeah. He, he strikes me as the type of director who just doesn't get along well with producer, like studio heads. Which makes sense because he's such a, yeah, he's such a in, in unique, I mean, he's an indie guy. He should be doing mm-hmm. his own stuff, I think. But anyway, so it was, you know, it, it was some fallow years that led to led him back to Phantasm and, and basically like a failure to be able to secure funding for movies from a lot of places. And the one place where there was always money on the table was from various different studios that were just like, hey, if you want to do Phantasm 2, we will finance that movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because he talks about it like it 
like he couldn't come up with an idea for how to do it. Which is such a hilarious thing to hear him say now that the the series is five movies deep. Yeah, yeah. Um, with no shortage of crazy ideas. It, every 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 single installment's pretty insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so that basically leads us into the production of Phantasm Two, um, which ended up getting financed by Universal. Um, which is noteworthy because it, I mean, we've almost got like a little bit of an Evil Dead 2 type of situation on our hands where mm-hmm. there's this big influx of money, which is funny because the budget they gave him was $3 million, which was like more than 10 times what he spent on the first one. Yes. However, $3 million also represents the smallest budget for a film that Universal made in the 1980s. Holy shit. Yeah. Crazy. That's a that's incredible. That's a incredible incredible stack. Cause yeah, I'm sure he's like, wow, we got so much money to make this one. But it's like really, it's like no, it's peanuts for Universal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Evil Dead Two is a good comparison too because this movie, um, although not as I mean, it's similar to Evil Dead Two in that it in the first few minutes you catch up to speed with the mm-hmm. last movie. Yeah, and then and then you're kind of off to the races in in sort of like repeating some of the same beats, but not not completely. Totally. Um, in a way more over the top fashion. Yeah, and there's oh, also a direct reference to Sam Raimi in the movie too. There is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, so do you want to segue here and do our blood and guts check? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to go first? You, you go first. Been, I'll, yeah, I've been I'll talking for a while. Um, so I I really like this movie a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's one that I, I saw probably shortly after seeing the first one. I don't remember exactly mm. when I first saw it. Probably high, somewhere in high school. Yeah. And um, I don't know what my opinion was of it then, but in my rewatch recently, I'm like, oh, this movie's good. I really, I love how weird it is. Yeah. It's a little bit, it's more, feels more gory. I don't know that it actually is. Oh, it definitely is. I know some I of think, it was. I think yeah. it is just because of the amount of stuff that they were able to do. I don't think like any, the yeah. individual things aren't necessarily way more gory, but there's just like volume wise, you know. I, I do think, you know, and actually I'm going to save that. Um. I just say it does feel like there is a little bit, a little of the Phantasm One weirdness sheen that's not on mm-hmm. this one. Yeah. Uh, but in general, I, I'm this is one that I really enjoy. Sure. What about yourself? Um. Yes. So I think that I'm pretty much in in, in agreement. Um. That this is, I think, a fun, enjoyable movie that I would call a success as a sequel goes. And, mm. and I think that it is, it is really interesting to do this following up right after alien, because I actually think, you know, we talk about evil dead too, but this is to me, this is such an analogous follow up to aliens in that sure. it, that what it does is it goes bigger. It goes more impressive. Um, and I think more exciting than the first one Mm -hmm. and it's very and i think it's really well done but i think like you were sort of saying it trades some stuff in right it's like we lose yep we lose some things and a lot of that is like atmosphere and mood um yeah that are that are part of what makes the first one so great and we trade those things in for bigger better explosions and violence and more you know uh better locations and all this sort of stuff and i think that 
I think that it's a fair trade. And I'm I'm honestly like I'm mm-hmm. kind of glad that it's not just the same thing again. And that's something that Coscarelli is really good at as we will continue to go through the series where it's like these movies manage to stand apart pretty clearly, I think. They never really feel like they're repeating themselves too much. Yeah. And if they do, it's intentional. Right. Um Yeah, with this one, it, it's uh um God. I had it and I lost it. They oh yeah, it's more of a down the middle. Like this is right in the kill streak sweet spot. Yeah, like you said that about the first one, but I think this one even more in the like this is the. It's not crap. It's not mm, crap at all. Right. But this is the crap that I would like. This is the era of yeah. of of horror movie that I'm like yeah fuck it throw it on I'll watch it I don't care what it is <laughs> um, yeah and this one is like way better than those right but it's still like has a lot of those trappings which mm-hmm. I love yeah and I I mean I I I completely agree with that and I think that like to be clear this is not an insult but it's like this is much more the kind of movie that you can half pay attention to uh-huh. um yep which is like kind of a calling card of great. 80s horror movies for me and even early 90s stuff where it's like this is the kind of shit that should be on tv when you're like hanging out with your buddies or mm-hmm. if you're me you're just like clicking around on prodigy or whatever and like <laughs> making cyber friends um, <laughs> who are all 45 oh, wow. year old men. asl <laughs> it's weird everyone's a 14 year old girl weird. yeah with c cups and they all want to know how often i jerk off <laughs> Jeez. really dancing on that a fine a line specific? here <laughs> yeah Maybe that happened to me when I was that age. It absolutely Maybe. happened to me, but you know, yeah, uh, it's neither here nor there. But yeah, it's it's that kind of movie. It's like a sleepover movie. It's like a late night movie. It's a Joe Bob kind of movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's just like you don't like Phantasm. The first one has enough like atmosphere going for it that it's like you kind of owe it to yourself to like do the. I mean, I forget who the critic. Uh, this goes all the way back, you know early 20th century i think but like that idea of the the theater is like the womb you remember learning mm. about that shit in film school um, it seems like a pauline kale thing maybe it might be older i feel like it's french maybe but uh um, oh, okay yeah those uh what's that magazine i've never Cahir du cinema yeah Cahir. i don't ever know how to pronounce it i always just see it written i actually up. that might not be right that might not be right. well, we're gonna go with it anyways but yeah it's like the first one has more of that, like, you got to turn the lights off. You got to turn the sound up. You got to envelop yourself in the movie and really mm-hmm. go there with it. And this one is like, nah, you could be like fucking dicking around and like, you know, getting up and making a snack while this runs. And, you know, it should have commercials in it. Like, I actually was totally into watching this on Tubi because. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, give me a commercial break so I can get up and do stuff. Um, exactly. Yeah. Let me look at my phone for a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally. Uh, hold on. Let's see. I have a pr- pronunciation here. Okay. Oh. Oh, fine. <laughs> we're, we're, we're master. Du cinema. Ca- French. Again? Cahier du cinema. Cahier du cinema. Cahier. That makes no fucking almost, sense at all. Like, like C-A-L-L-E. Almost like, <laughs> yeah, almost like how you say the street in French. I don't know. Yeah. Cahier. 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 It's Cahier. Anyway. Cahier. Anyway. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, we're Francophiles here on. Kill yeah, Street. that's right. We we. <laughs> <laughs> I am French. Why don't I know this? Gosselin. Uh, Gosselin. Anyway. Gosselin. Is that what you say? Le. I think so. Yeah. Cool. 
I mean, that's not how I say it. But uh, they thought when I went there, when I went to France, um, they thought I was a famous baker when they picked me up from the airport. (laughs) So fucking (laughs) stereotypical. (laughs) I know they're so stereotypical. Like, oh, do you own like it's called like Gosselin's, Uh however they pronounce it. Yeah. And we're like, nope, nope, that's definitely not me. I don't even speak French. (laughs) (laughs) What's the most? What's the most just down the middle stereotypical French? thing you can you think a of French a crusty baguette it's like <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ on the nose french people uh-huh um yeah. well anyways let's talk about this difference in tone between these two movies because it is not an accident and it's not fully on don coscarelli in fact a lot of it probably isn't um so we mentioned that this was a studio movie this is a universal picture um, and so there are a handful of things that they basically told him that he couldn't do or that he had to do that I think have a lot of impact on the stuff we're talking about. And the big ones are, yeah, one, they pushed super hard for a linear plot. It's like, so mm-hmm. sort of nothing nonlinear. Uh, they made him cut out any and all dream sequences, which is crazy. Yeah. For this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because it's like, you know, you could make the argument that dreams are a character in these films. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, so they really were just like, they added a bunch of voiceover and stuff to, like, clarify plot points. And you can kind of feel that. You can feel that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, They made him add a female love interest for Mike. So that is where we get um, Liz. Liz, played by Paula Irvine. Um, and then the biggest one, the one that everybody knows about, but the biggest edict that came down from the studio was initially they wanted to recast Mike and Reggie both because neither of them had acted since Phantasm. So this is like a, I'm not going to say that I'm on their side, but I can understand if you get that note from the studio, that's not like totally out of the blue. Yeah, especially since I think Mike more than Reggie, which mm-hmm. you know ended up being what happened, because Mike's a kid in the in the first movie, right. and so you could really make an argument of like, mm-hmm. well, you know, he changed over the yeah, you know, it does. It's not as jarring, and I think that is the argument that the studio made, which is just like, well, he's you're, he's going to look different anyways. So they were just like, we want working actors in these roles, and I'm like, okay, I can kind of understand that. And yeah. basically, after a lot of back and forth, Coscarelli pushed back a ton. Because both of those guys are friends of his. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was something that he took really seriously and pretty personally. And ultimately, he bargained them down to one. He he was given the choice to to keep one of the two. And I think we can probably both heartily agree that he made the right call. I think so, yeah. Yeah, to keep Reggie Bannister and then let them recast Mike. Reggie is so specific. Yeah. Looking in the first movie, it would be really hard to recast him. And not just his I look. Think, I mean, I think, I think his I, character is based on that guy, you know, his whole attitude. Yeah. He's kind of playing himself all the way through. And I think he's great in it, too. Yeah. I really like mm-hmm. this. This watch through of these movies has made me appreciate Reggie a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, he is. I think he, I mean, I, I'm not going to put him on the level of a Bruce Campbell, certainly. No. But no. it's like a kind of thing where it's like you have this cast of people that are just like friends of yours and are amateurs. And then it's like, oh, it turns out one of these guys is actually like pretty good. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, Bruce Campbell's like great, but Right. Sim- Bruce Campbell is like the one in a million. Yeah. You know, of your friends who happens <laughs> to act and is and right. has movie star good looks and is yeah. great. You know? I mean one in a million, I mean, you know, what about what about I mean what about me? And I didn't another Yeti Love story, Life on the Streets. Um so yeah, but it's not as jarring with Mike not there. I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little bit. I didn't hear you. Ah, uh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> so let's just move. On. Let's move on. Uh, did, did you get to the part in the book where um he he talks about who may have been Mike, someone who oh, auditioned yeah. Yeah. but didn't get the part? Yeah, yeah. lay it on us though. So so I'll I'll transition you there. So essentially, he pulls the trigger on recasting Mike, and then they go into auditions, and so he's trying a bunch of people out, and then who who ends up in the room? Brad Pitt. <laughs> and he learned this after the fact because Brad Pitt wasn't anybody at the time. Right. Um, and he was apparently Brad Pitt's like, oh, yeah, I auditioned for that and, and didn't get it. Right. Um, and he like went back and looked at the tape and he's like, man, maybe I should have cast Brad Pitt in that movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no recollection. No recollection of everything. Yeah, he had no it. recollection of it, whatever, of anything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that would have been a much different movie. Definitely. Um, so, I mean, I feel like this is as good a place as any to ask, how do you feel about who they landed on, which is James LaGrose? <clears throat> I don't love him in this movie. Okay. I, you know, that's it's unfair mm. because I actually like Michael, Michael Baldwin a lot. Yeah. And he comes, you know, spoiler, he comes back. Yeah. Uh, so I always forget that he's not even in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's fine. He does a fine job. He doesn't do anything wrong, yeah, specifically. But he is more of the pretty boy actor, sure. That feels a little bit out of place in Phantasm, and sometimes he's not even that pretty. <laughs> sometimes he looks like at some angles you're like, oh yeah, this is a really good looking guy, yeah. And then sometimes with like close ups, you're like, oh no, his hair's kind of receding and he looks weird. <laughs> like, did you, did you notice that? I did not notice that. I mean, he has oh, yeah, a unique yeah. he, look. I think, which I appreciate. It's just like Brad Pitt is like too pretty. And I think LaGrosse is, is actually, like, a better choice for that reason, that he's, like, he's good-looking, but he's not, like, perfect. He's got, like, yeah. he's got a little bit of his own look. I don't want to shit-talk him. I'm not, yeah. I'm not shit-talking well, him. Well, you I think can if like, you want, because I'll, I'll balance it out, because I actually, I think he's, I mean, I think he's fine in the movie. I agree with you. I think he's actually a pretty good actor. I like him in a, in a number of other things. Um, he gets, like, cast in a lot of guest parts, um, mm-hmm. but I know him from like a six or seven episode stretch in Justified, one of my favorite shows. Oh, uh, which season is he in? Uh, he's you know? in, it's like the last one, maybe a second, last or second. Oh, that's the only, last. that's yeah. the only one I haven't seen is the last one. Yeah. I think he shows up a couple times earlier and then he has like a, oh, it's Wade. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah he's a longer stretch in the last season, but I think he's, I think mm-hmm. he's actually a pretty solid actor. I mean, he, Famously plays Roach in Point Break. He is one of the dead presidents. Um, mm-hmm. And I always liked him in that. And uh, he's got a really fun guest star on Friends. Um, oh, I, I don't remember that. So he, he, I think he goes on a date with, uh, it's Phoebe. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to bore mm-hmm. everybody with this. But it's like, it's pretty hilarious. It's like, he's this like cute guy who she keeps seeing everywhere. And then she like gets her horoscope read or something like that. And it's like, you're going to meet the man of your dreams. And so she's like, well, this has got to be the guy because he's like cute. And he's and I keep seeing him. So they go out to dinner 
and he like starts out seeming very charming, but then quickly reveals himself to be a total fucking weirdo. And <laughs> the thing that he says is like, it's like he's he's been writing this series of erotic novels for children. <laughs> And then he says something. I forget what the line is, but he's like, they're incredibly unpopular. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah. uh, I didn't give Friends enough enough uh credit at the time i mean it's a really well-written sitcom you know it's it's, yeah that's what that's the thing i i know it's like gotten a lot of it's gotten very popular in the past few years like people revisiting it i mean it's got plenty of problems i just like i appreciate i mean i am one of those people who even though i love horror first and foremost um you know one of the reasons i think the oscars are a total fucking sham is because the absolute hardest thing to make is a good comedy oh yeah uh, yeah, and they're like, "Oh, dramas only." And it's like that's the easiest shit to make seem like good, important, like important. Yeah. It's like to make a movie that actually makes people laugh is fucking hard. It's really I would, hard. I, I would w- rather watch. I watched The Sound of Metal, which I liked mostly. Mm-hmm. I would rather watch Barb and Star go to, Vis- to Vista Del Mar or whatever it is. Yeah, every night of the week than watch that movie again. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't even watched it yet for that reason. Um, it's hilarious. So, oh, oh, I think you meant. Yeah, no, I want to see Barb and Star also, but like Sound of Metal, I'm just like, yeah, I'm sure it's great. Also, like I've the other thing with dramas, not to like extend this tangent too long, is it's just like I'll watch a trailer for a drama and I'll be like, yeah, that seems good. Also, I'm pretty sure I know what the whole fucking movie is now from watching this three yeah. minute trailer. Like, it's not going to have a lot of surprises. Or anything, it's like yeah, I get it. I get the story arc. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas like a comedy, you know, yeah, they'll burn off some of the the good jokes, but there's gonna be you know more. There'll be some surprises. Yeah, that's that's like about right. horror movies too. Yeah. Horror and horror and comedy very similar. Yeah, in that like it's it's a genre that both that really like the whole point is to surprise you. Uh, yeah, yeah. surprising to create this like really visceral response in the audience, so that's like scared or laughing, or yeah. But again, surprise, <laughs> right, like you yeah. said, is at the core of that. Um. Okay, so a couple other fun. I've got some really fun behind the scenes stuff that I try to run through fast. Um, with some just some some random facts here. So Sam Raimi, uh, Coscarelli was a big fan of. He got introduced to him in the intervening years after Phantasm. They kind of hit it off. Uh. And Raimi recommended to him a couple guys from his Evil Dead 2 crew to use for this, which he did. So the production designer on this is a guy named Philip Duffin, um, who came over from Evil Dead 2. And then, but probably the more noteworthy one is the special makeup effects guy um, from Evil Dead 2. His name is Mark Schostrom, um, got hired onto this. And then it was revealed as they started shooting that Shostrom was doing double duty and had also taken a job on Deep Star 6. Oh, yeah. And Coscarelli was understandably pissed. He's like, what the fuck, man? Like, you can't do two <laughs> movies at once. And he was like, no, no, it's cool. Like, I've got these two assistants. They're going to, you'll have full time that you can use mm-hmm. whenever. And they're really good. And those guys were Robert Kurtzman and Greg Nicotero. So the two MVPs of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. They're in 99% of the movies we talk about. Yeah. I mean, or, we're the only one we're missing is burger, right? The K N B E F X guys. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, those guys were responsible for a lot of the makeup effects in this movie and 
it they look good and i'm not surprised um, yeah they do look good some other this i think and this was in the book so this isn't gonna be a surprise to you but i think people at home are gonna this story blew my flip their lids fucking mind truly so <laughs> so at one point um i want to say it's like a scene where the guys just like get in the cuda and drive off but there's a scene that's shot up in the angeles mountains um like north mm-hmm. of los angeles um kind of like northeast um but it's like it's probably four thousand feet up and it's like a lot of winding road it takes like 45 minutes to get up there it's a really beautiful part of the state. Yeah, I mean, if you guys want to see it, you can check out my film, Street Team Massacre, ah. which I believe is on YouTube, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we should, that's where we shot. But just so you guys know, I'm not in it, so... He's not in do it. Do without yeah, what you not. will. Um, so anyways, they shot this, they wrapped up for the night, and they have uh, all of the equipment, all these lights, all these stands, and in addition, the airy cam that they're shooting on in a grip truck. Uh, and so one of the guys, um, it's like, it's just, a, I don't know if he was, I think he was part of, he was a grip or maybe a transpo driver. I'm pretty sure he was a grip on this movie, but so young guy, uh, driving the grip truck down the Angeles crest high, like down the highway, which is like an insane drive to make in a truck period. Like mm-hmm. I don't envy that at all, but believe it or not, the brakes on the truck failed. Mm-hmm. as he was coming down from the mountains and uh so the guy basically just kind of rolled with it and said fuck i'm just gonna try to keep this truck on the road he gets all the way down out of the mountains into i assume la Kenyatta is probably where you end up and he finally mm-hmm. gets to the bottom of the hill and he ends up essentially just driving the truck straight into a cadillac <laughs> um yeah causing a huge crash um, and it turns out for the production, no one in the car, by the way, it was a parked car. So it was like a, it was a, it sounds like it was a deliberate safety maneuver, right? Right. Yeah. He was like doing it to slow himself down. Yeah, essentially. So long story short, $400,000 loss, all of the equipment pretty much wrecked the, the truck totaled the car totaled. So all of this though gets covered by production insurance because the the they it was found to be the rental trunk com- rental truck company's fault. The brakes were faulty because they hadn't been serviced. And so ultimately the production got paid out for all of that damage. So the the production went on fine because uh you know Universal just covered it while they were waiting for that. But the best part of this story is that the driver of that truck is a guy named Shane Hurlbut who went on to become a fairly successful DP in Hollywood. So successful, mm. in fact, that he was the director of photography on the movie Terminator Salvation, which is a movie somewhat famous right. <laughs> for a behind-the-scenes scuffle where Christian Bale is recorded screaming at a guy for... What did he do? What was the... Uh, He's adjusting lights while in the middle of a scene. He's like yeah. walking, walking around. Yeah, like walked through yeah. a scene. And that man, no, none other than Shane Hurlbut, the driver of the runaway grip truck, is man is on the receiving oh, end. Oh, good of the- for you! <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know this tape, get online right now and listen to it. It is 
really wonderful uh, to listen to because it, it really, from what I know of the behind the scenes stuff, is it is truly just two guys with huge egos. Because yeah, when it first came out, Christian Bale took a ton of shit for it for just being like a total prima donna. But then, like the story from that from that set is like, oh yeah, that Shane Hurlbut is an asshole, and like that was definitely yeah. like a power move on his part. <laughs> yeah, it's like he does that shit all the time. Yeah, and like, and it is very rude to do to an actor. Yeah, he's trying to like, con- it's like an emotional scene too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, that I I forgot that. That's that's so good. Yeah, I thought that was a great story. Um. And then the uh, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was the big house explosion, which I think we can probably just save for when we get there. Okay. Uh, oh, can I interrupt? I yeah. know we're running along on this for a second. No, it's Whatever. fine. Uh, I have a similar story where my friend Amanda mm-hmm. um, lived. Uh, we were, went to high school together. We're friends in high school. Became like we're friends after high school. I would come back and like hang out with her. She moved to Port. Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I would like crash at her place. Mm. Her, her and her boyfriend. I liked her boyfriend Chris a lot too. They're no longer together, but he was Sorry, an actor. Guys. Sorry, <laughs> he was an actor. Still is, I guess. Okay. Still an actor. Um, and had a small part in Julie Taymor's Across the Universe. Sure, he's like a dancer. He's like a, he's okay. like you know that kind of yeah. that kind of actor. And so like great great guy. And he had uh, a job coming up. Like one of the last times mm. I had hung out with the two of them, he had a job coming up in New York, and it was Spider Man oh, no. turn off the dark. Oh no! Long story short, he is the guy who fell and broke his back. Jesus uh, and Christ! Like was basically res- one of the things that was like really responsible mm. for that show going under. Yeah, and it was all is like in all the tabloids and the news. Yeah, he was the guy. Holy He's okay shit. now. He's okay. okay, but like, it was just like. When I was reading all this shit happening, like, oh yeah, that's Chris is in it. And then I would read like, oh fuck, Chris is the guy who fell? It was very weird. My friend was like, you know, in the hospital with him at his bedside. Wow. He's okay now, but okay. it's such a weird like So he can walk random... and everything. Oh yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he's still at, he's still acting and, okay. and stuff. I, I have kind of haven't kept oh. in touch since they broke up. But yeah. Man. Crazy, right? Did she break up with him because he broke his back? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she couldn't. Just she didn't sign up for that. that <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's just too much to ask of a young woman like that. You know, she's got a whole <laughs> life to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I the, the only other stuff I wanted to cover. Just you know, if you if you didn't watch this movie, it, it's we definitely still have some people returning from the first one. So like we said, Reggie Bannister is back as Reggie, obviously. Uh, Rory guy, aka Angus Scrim, has to return as the iconic tall man, and he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also behind the scenes, uh, one of the producers, Roberto Cazada, is back. Um, uh, another, I think the production designer is the same. And, and another thing that I thought was very cool and kind of indicative of the way Don Coscarelli is loyal to the people that he works with. So the DP of this movie, um, is a guy, what is his name? His last name is Okada. I'm trying to remember his first name. Um, I am scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Darren Okada um, was a 16-year-old grip on the first Phantasm. Yeah. And and he is back as the DP in this. A guy who who did a lot of work and went on to one day become president 
of ASC, the American Society of Cinematographers. So mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was a pretty cool story. Yeah. But that's pretty much yeah, it. It's, mm. Coscarelli seems like he is great to his crew. Yeah, like he for seems sure. Like he always tries to work with him again. Yeah. Uh, which is admirable. I really think that's great. Yeah. And I just want to call uh, out, I, I want to call out two back-to-back credits on Darren Okada's resume before we move on. 1992, DP on Captain Ron. Yes. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Love that movie. <laughs> and then 93, a true cult classic in my heart, uh, Airborne, the rollerblading movie. Oh, I never saw it. Are you shitting me, dude? Oh. No, I never saw we it. We might have to do a live commentary on that, too. Okay. Anyways. I'm down. Yeah, it's a 90s classic. Uh, anyways, over to you, Eric. All right, yeah, let's take a quick break, uh, and then we can get into the recap of the movie. Phantasm, the delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a ghost. For 10 years, the secret of Paragord Cemetery has remained a mystery. Now, three innocent people are about to discover the ultimate evil. You think that when you die, you go to heaven. You come to us. We've got to warn people. This summer, the ball is back. Phantasm 2. It's only a dream. It's a dream. No, it's not. Rated R. All right. Uh, Look at the title card. Looks great this time. Phantasm 2. Looks like drawn metal. I like it. Yeah. Um, We see a girl, Liz. Waking up in bed, uh, she wakes up in a panic, rushes to make sure the gas is turned off on her stovetop. She starts flipping through her own psychological report, I guess, like or like journal of dreams that she is supposed mm. to be keeping. Eight years ago, my visions began, terrifying visions of things to come. Through them, I found you, Mike. We see like a pencil drawing of Mike. <laughs> <laughs> on the pages with like literal hearts yeah. around it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a Reggie too. It just says uh, Mrs. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um we get a flashback of the uh of the the final like f- uh fireplace scene from the first movie. Uh so we're reminded that it was, you know, Jody died in a car wreck. It's all a d- re- realistic dream. We're going to get on the road, put this behind you. But I also found you, the tall man. We see a hearse pull up outside of a house. <laughs> this is something they should have covered up. This tall man steps out of the hearse, mm-hmm. and we see his gigantic lifts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just get another just guy. Do, to... do regular shoes for that part, and then cut to the right. other shot where he's tall. <laughs> it's like, he may be from another planet, but that doesn't mean he's not a little self-conscious about his height. Yeah. Um, 
Also, I heard he had to lose 30 pounds f- between this movie, like last movie. Like Don Coscarelli basically called him up and was like, hey, man, got to lose some weight because he had put on a bunch of weight before. <laughs> Oof. Cause That's the not tall great man- for, him, for a man of his age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because ta- the tall man is like, he's like, he's supposed to be skinny. So he lost 30 pounds. Um, so he pulls out this black casket with this like white interior. Back to the flashback. Up in Mike's room. We get the, oh, this is all part of the flashback. Up in Mike's room, um, we get the scene from the end of part one where he closes the mirror. We see the tall man in the mirror. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing now how the tall man got to Mike's house. Boy. Reggie hears the struggle of Mike being pulled through the mirror, puts down his guitar, runs upstairs. He sees a dwarf dragging Mike out of the closet. Reggie downstairs grabs a shotgun. He's looking for ammo. He throws up in a cabinet. A dwarf pounces on him from inside. It's a great we, jump scare. It I, is a good jump scare. And we get to see their faces for the first time. Yeah. yeah and they're like kind be, of all fucked up. Yeah. And that's and that's one of the big changes between these two movies. And I think that yeah, it's a product of the, the added budget is like, yeah. yeah, let's do some makeup for the faces of all these dwarves. They're pretty. It's pretty cool. He wrestles them and beats him to death with a shotgun. Runs into the kitchen. It's full of dwarves. Shit. Reggie <laughs> clocks the fireplace behind him. He turns. He looks at the gas burners on the stove. Douses the pilot lights with his bare fingers, which is. Yeah, ouch, this is a cool. It would, it would hurt a little. This is a cool sequence, though. I think it's shot really well. It is. To, to like visually explain what is. I mean, it's a it's a fairly simple idea, but the whole process of putting all of the pilot lights out is kind of involved, and I think it's done really well. Yeah, and it's think, cool. And I and not to like, I don't want to shit on the rest of the movie because I like this whole movie, but I will say that I think this whole sequence is maybe my favorite. Maybe part the of best the part. Yeah, mm, I don't, yeah, I don't know that I agree. I think maybe the end is my favorite part. The but yeah, end's it's pretty good really too. Good. Yeah. It's up there, and it's like the first shot we get of all those dwarves like closing in on him is like it. It, it is kind of creepy, and it's funny because I mean I mentioned this earlier, uh, but it, I wasn't comparing it to Phantasm really. But it's like again, like I think of Troll Two, uh-huh. um, <laughs> but like a movie that you are intimately familiar with. Oh yeah, I'm in the deleted scenes of the documentary about it. <laughs> old ag on the cutting room floor um (laughs) but uh obviously much scarier but troll 2 is a little scary in its own weird uncomfortable way uh and yeah for some reason all these these doors closing in on reggie like kind of like it freaked me out um yeah troll 2 is like scary in the like unreal way it's like what is happening Mm -hmm. this tone is so weird and uncomfortable Especially if you see it like we did for the first time when you're like when you're 11 kids. or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Troll 1, too, also equally scary, I think, for like a kid. Um, anyway, we're not talking about Troll. Maybe one day we will. Um, he cranks the gas. Burn, you sons of bitches. Uh, upstairs. He, oh, he crawls upstairs through the laundry chute, which is well shot. It's cool. Yeah. He like runs away from the doors, claws up this laundry chute. Uh, the tall man like walks right by him and he hides, grabs a baseball bat and whacks a dwarf down the hallway, re- hits him real hard, grabs Mike, and then they jump through the second floor window. Just then the gas ignites, the house blows. It looks 
fucking crazy. It is a huge explosion. Huge explosion. It is a house, truly a real house, blowing sky high. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I don't know, like, I don't want to talk about the explosion yet. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in a little bit. Okay, sure. Uh, The tall man is watching, but he's unfazed. Closes up the hearse, and we hear more Leah's voiceover. I don't know where he comes from. Maybe another dimension. Each day I can feel him coming closer. He knows I've seen him. Oh, this is where we see Mike with the hearts around his head. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, we've grown up together. I know you're out there. Soon my grandfather will die, and my visions will become real. We get like a cut of the clo- the the tall man or someone he's sewing up his grandfather's mouth like in preparation. Um, yeah, yeah, the, it's 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 like one of his creepy. It's one of, we meet a handful of like these, that like, Paul Bear guy. Yeah, what is, what are the uh, mortician right? Mortician, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah there's exactly. like one or two of them. I think I'm not sure. They look. I don't. I couldn't tell if they're twins or just kind of look the same. That's a good question. I didn't see anything to suggest they're twins, but they definitely look alike, and they're like definitely makeup is done up the same way. So. Yeah, and they're dressed the same. Yeah. Uh, we're at the Morningside Psychiatric Clinic again. We got Morningside from the uh, mortuary from the last movie. Mm-hmm. Mike's in a meeting with his doctor. I guess you can say I really went off a deep end. I couldn't distinguish fantasy from reality. Um, and then the doctor's like, "Well, you're doing good now. He's been in there for seven years. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I gotta get it. It's like internal dialogue. He's like mm-hmm. to himself. He's like, that's good. Keep it up, Mike. I gotta get out of here. She needs me. There's a lot um, of weird internal monologue in this movie. There is like this. And that must be the studio nut stuff. That's like, yeah, we yeah. gotta explain this a little more, buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the doctor gives him his release. Be well, Michael. But remember, it was all in your imagination. You know, as they do when they release patients. Yeah. <laughs> remember, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy anywhere. Um, but then immediately goes to a graveyard with a fucking pitch or with a fucking pickaxe. <laughs> yeah, just starts digging up graves. Starts digging up graves. Uh, Reggie catches a mid swing. I was away. I was afraid you'd, I'd find you here. He looks around like, Reggie, look, the whole graveyard is empty. It's the third empty grave he's dug up. All the corpses are missing. Um, and so Mike, Mike's plan now is he wants to stop the tall man. The story about me blowing up my house because it was infested with midgets. Mike, that wasn't real. <laughs> That's Reggie saying that to him, <laughs> infested with midgets. <laughs> this is one of, one of many great lines in this movie that are just like really crazy, very literal like descriptions of what's happening or who yeah, people yeah. are. <laughs> Which makes it even seem crazier. It's like, yeah, yeah, I guess that is what it was. <laughs> uh, so Mike's like, the tall man showing me things he wants to, and I want to find him and tells Reggie about Liz. He's, they've been like psychically like communicating with each other through dreams and mm-hmm. visions without his help. She'll die. Um, they run as a groundskeeper shows up and they're in the car. Reggie's like, Hey, I'm so happy. You can meet my family. My daughter, Bonnie. She's so excited to meet your uncle, Michael, her uncle, Mike. And then Mike gets a vision 
of the stove wait, top wait, on. Hold on. <laughs> then in the, in, 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 like sure. he lays it on even thicker. The wife's like making a special. <laughs> what is it? I don't remember. I don't remember the wife's making dinner for them all. Yeah. Oh, Bonnie's like gonna love meeting her uncle Mike. Shit. Yeah, something like that. Like you always joke when I say I could eat dinner. Like, did your wife make you a stew? Yeah, it's a. It might be a stew. I think I'd remember if it was a stew. <laughs> so they might get a vision of stovetops on. Welcome home, boy. He snaps. We gotta get out of the people out of the house, and then, boom! <laughs> fucking house explodes. <laughs> Reggie's family, his entire family, dies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they it's don't. So they make... fucking funny. Yeah, and you get one of those classic like Reggie wants to run into the fire, and Mike has to tackle yeah, like, him no, to the ground. No. Yeah, we gotta get him out, Mike. <laughs> okay, now I am ready to talk about the house explosion because this is the same house explosion from earlier in the prologue, uh, which maybe isn't that surprising, but actually, I it never occurred to me until I read the book that. Of yeah. course, they wouldn't blow up two different houses. Right. Well, they, in a bigger budget movie, they would, but not yeah. this one. Yeah. So what ended up happening was this was a house that was owned by the state of California. It had been purchased because it was on a tract of land that they were going to uh, raise everything and expand a freeway. This is down by LAX in, in, in L.A. Um, and so the deal was essentially Caltrans was like selling all of these houses for like 500 bucks but the but you had to move the house off the Uh land right because you couldn't buy the land so they're like yeah if you want a house you can buy this house but then you have to get it off its foundation and move it somewhere else wow that's crazy and so the producers were like hey what if we bought a house and just blew it up and they were like yeah i mean that's fine as long as you clean it up afterwards (laughs) it's like one less house we have to demolish and they're like okay cool great so they buy this house and then they planned it out and i just thought this was i mean this this is the kind of like low budget filmmaking uh know-how that i just i go nuts for Mm -hmm. so there are three different shots in this movie different cameras different angles different actors that they use for the same explosion so the first one is the most obvious one which is in the prologue we have Reggie Bannister, the real Reggie Bannister, or no, sorry. Yeah, it's the real Reggie Bannister and then a fake Mike, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's like a body double playing like young Mike, yeah, right? Yeah. So they leap out the window and then they're running away in the yard and then the house blows up behind them, right? So that's camera one that's set up during this one explosion. Camera two is the one that is on Angus Scrim, the tall man, as he's mm-hmm. walking away from the fire towards his hearse. And like all cool guys, he doesn't turn around and look at it, right? He mm-hmm. just like, keeps walking to the hearse. So those make sense. It's like, okay, those are two different angles of the same explosion. But then the third one is this shot where they shoot it from inside the CUDA. And it's the real Mike, right? It's James LaGrosse because they don't need him to do young Mike. So he can be out here in the car. Right. And then it's a stunt double for Reggie Bannister. And so they, this is a different, so, and this is supposed to be a completely different explosion. Um, and they only had one shot at it. They had one house and they could do it one time and, and they nailed it. They got all three of the That's shots awesome. that they needed. Three, yeah. three setups, three yeah. shots, three different scenes. 
Yeah. Or two different scenes, I guess. But it's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So anyways, I thought that was so cool. Um, but yeah, and it is. I mean, it like I, I it bears repeating one more time. It is a great explosion. Oh, like, it's awesome. Yeah, it's not a miniature. It's not faked even a little bit. It's like fucking black powder, like barrels gasoline. of gasoline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing I learned from this book that apparently, according to Coscarelli, the best fireball is you put a black powder bomb underneath gasoline, and so the explosion from the black powder blows. A mm-hmm. cloud of gasoline that ignites into the air. And he was talking about how in the movies, especially on lower budget movies where you can't really practice that stuff, you basically have to use your kind of scientific know-how to guess how high the fireballs are going to go. So you frame it upright in the camera. Yeah. And he said a lot of it is dependent on temperature. So if it's like warm outside, you're going to get a way higher fireball, but if it's cold, it's going to stay lower to the ground. And it's like, I was like, this is cool. It's, like, it's so cool. Just such a cool thing to know that it's like, oh yeah, when you shoot a fireball explosion, if it's 60 degrees outside, you frame low. And it's yeah. Like, Man, I hope I know shit like that someday. It's so cool. Yeah. Now it's just going to be like, well, then you just put the after effects on it and it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So we're at Reggie's family's funeral. I don't mean to laugh at the demise of his family, but it's so fucking funny to me that he just like sets them up. He's like, yeah. oh, you're going to love this family. Boom. <laughs> we never so see fast. any of them. We never see them. That's why it's, if we saw the little girl or something, Bonnie, yeah. then it'd be like, oh, no, we can't do that. But yeah, no, this feels fact- like a joke out of like a fucking like a Zuckerberg's movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does feel like yeah. They're both wearing cool sunglasses at the funeral. Yeah. Uh, and Reggie's like, Mike, you you knew it before it happened. I'm so sorry, Reg. Let's go, Mike. We got things to do. And they get in the fucking Hemi Kudas. They hit the road. Yeah. And worth noting, this time around, it, it, they have recast the car. It is now a Hemi Kuda. It is not just a Barracuda. Mm-hmm. It is the one with the engine that, frankly, probably shouldn't have been street legal at the time. Uh, <laughs> like, I think a lot of people died um, mm. <laughs> just crashing these muscle cars because it was just way too much power. Paul Walker, R.I.P. Uh, Reg- <laughs> we got Reggie's voiceover. He said it'd take us years to find the tall man. And if we did, we'd probably die. Maybe, but not without a fight. They break into a store. I love scenes like this. I'm so, oh, I get yes. so fucking hard for scenes like this. <laughs> they break into a store. They load up on supplies. I guess fu- I like... I just rub myself into that. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's probably why I love Dawn of the Dead so much, though, because it's like a movie. It's a whole that. movie of, yeah, just getting the gear you need out of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I dig that. Reggie finds this crazy looking spear axe thing, which doesn't actually come into a play. So I could have erased that note. But then there's <laughs> guns, a little chainsaw. Reggie yeah, pulls out a double barrel shotgun, gets an idea. It, there's, and, and, I just want to say there's a there is a later payoff to this chainsaw thing where they have a yes. back and forth about how how Reggie wants. Be. Yeah, what, which was it? Reggie wants a long gun, and 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 Mike's like, no, you need that's never going to work. You need something short range. I think it might be the other way around, but yeah. yeah, either way. Yeah, then the other one grabs a little little chainsaw. And so Reggie pulls his double barrel shotgun or two, two double barrel shotguns, gets an yeah. idea, welds them together, makes a truck, a quadruple shotgun looks awesome. 
it's cut at like a diamond shape at the t- at the tip, like a point. Mm-hmm. It's fucking rad. Yeah, and this becomes so. A friend of mine was 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 asking about this the other night. So they kind of like turn this into like a recurring weapon in the in the series, right? Doesn't it come back? Yeah, it later? comes back. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like it sort of becomes Reggie's signature weapon. Mike makes a flamethrower. They open the cash register and toss money in. They ain't stealing. They're paying for yeah. it, baby. They're good guys. That's right. Heading to the northwest. Wasn't hard picking up on his trail. Places he'd been always looked the same. We see they're driving through his decimated small town that the tall man had been to. Small towns are like people. Some get old and die a natural death. Some are murdered. <laughs> Find an empty cemetery all dug up. They load up, scope out the cemetery. I notice that Reggie's wearing a, a hat that says Boogie Down on it. Yeah, it's a trucker hat, right? Before this, cool. when they were still cool, before yeah, fucking uh, bros ruined them in the late aughts. I'm sure they'll come back in a few years. It's time wise, so. every twenty years. Those fucking hats in Alien, man. Those things are cool. Those are awesome. Like the one Harry Dean Stanton has. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, they find like this boarded up building, a mortuary morgue. I guess I don't know. It says "Burned in Hell" on it. They chainsaw their way in. And then split up. <clears throat> Mike ends up in a morgue with a dead woman. He gets some some dead boobs, <laughs> which never yeah. counts, I guess. No, they're never any um, good. He turns around. He hears a noise. He turns around. The dead lady's gone. And Reggie calls him down to the boiler room. There's somebody cowering in a corner, wrapped in a blanket. They pull a gun on her and ask her, where can we find him? pull off the top of like the uh the blanket it's liz with her mouth taped holy shit she's scared there's something like moving on her back then mike pulls the blanket off and this wormy tall man head pops out of her spine yeah you play and then a pitch shifted (laughs) you play a good game boy come east if you dare (laughs) (laughs) it is it's wild. It's uh, wild. <laughs> it's. I think it's a little too crazy to be as scary as they probably would like it to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the tall man's voice is funny. <laughs> yeah, they make it high. <laughs> uh, that was a pretty good one, though. Yeah, but I mean, it's gross. The effect. I mean, you can see Nicotero and and Kurtzman's work all over. Like, this has got to yeah. be them. It's gooey, yeah. and you can like see bones that are like snapped mm-hmm. and stuff. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah. And th- then they torch it, um, and it was a trap laid by the tall man. And they explain in voiceover that it wasn't Liz. It was a thing that right. looked like Liz, which I'm sure was a note. Because yeah, even watching it this time, I'm like, oh, yeah, does Liz die there? Like, I've yeah, seen this I was like the uh, yeah, fourth time I've seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had the exact same journey. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to a funeral procession. It's Liz in the backseat with her grandma. They're in Perry. Perigord, oh, gross-sounding town. Perigord. <laughs> These creepy pallbearer guys grab the casket. The preach, the the preach, the priest looked a little too much like the tall man for my taste. Because like he's he's like driving the limo that they're in, and he turns mm-hmm. back. I'm like, oh shit, the tall man's in there. But it's like, no, it's the priest. Anyway, that's yeah, it. I mean, 
outside of James Legros, this is the only I feel like recognizable actor. In yeah, he this looked movie. familiar. Do you, what else is he in? So he's been in a ton of stuff. Um, I wanted to say that I thought for a second that he was on Seinfeld, and I was, I realized I was thinking of uh, Poppy. You know that guy mm. from Seinfeld, the guy like doesn't wash his hands and they get <laughs> getting him deported or some shit. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, talking about that a guy supported. Uh, yeah, but anyways, uh, it turns out it's not Poppy. Uh, he was. Uh, his name is. Blah, blah, I wrote it down. <laughs> Kenneth Tiger. Tiger. T i g a r. He should have been um, in the Beastmaster. Am I right? <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I guess you are right. I don't like it, but you're right. Um, <laughs> Lots and lots of TV stuff. I it turns out I had recently seen him in a very early episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. But here's some some selected credits: Lethal Weapon Two. Uh, he is in Lethal Weapon Three. He's on the Bomb Squad. Uh, lots of TV stuff. He's in Jade, a movie we were talking about. Oh yeah, this week. <laughs> uh, Primal Fear, mm. Conspiracy Theory. He plays a lawyer. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, none of these are jumping out at me as like, oh, that's what I know him from. It's like Law and but Order. He has he's on West places. Wing. He's on Fringe. He's in sure. the Avengers in like a tiny role. Sure, but I don't think I don't think he has like a that's what he's famous for thing. I guess he had a six episode run on House of Cards that I could give two shits about. You know who I get him confused with is the scientist, the uh, doctor, Linda Hamilton's doctor in T two. Sure. Yeah, that that's guy. that's who I always get him confused with. That guy's Not balder. Works, but... I mean, yeah, this guy yeah. is also receding hairline, but that guy's got like the full like horseshoe. Yeah. And I always think of his anyway. hair as being a kind of bluish gray. Yeah, 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 we should move on. <laughs> <laughs> We're at the funeral. Um Liz uh, like follows her sister out. Her sister leaves and she follows her up and then suddenly she's in the mausoleum. Mausoleum doesn't look that cool in this one. I like the look of the other mausoleum more. It's funny you say that because I thought that this one looked more realistic, but yeah. like less it impressive. Look, it does look more realistic, but I just like that white marble yeah. from the first one. Well, and then it turns out that this isn't a real mausoleum either. They built this set too. Um, oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, weird. That I, I'm just surprised by that because I mean, I guess you're just like the production design was like had more money, but yeah, I agree sure. with you that. But again, it's one of those things where it's like the first one has that kind of more weird, um, like the, I can't even like that space out of time kind of feeling to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's about right. Um, she sits down at a bench, she's like a dwarf scuttle by, then she psychically calls out to Mike. Mike wakes up. He's in a motel room. She's in danger. Um, I guess this is cool shot of it. So it starts with he wake, him waking up on the bed. Him and Reggie are in the motel. They leave mm-hmm. the motel room and then load, load up the, the CUDA. And it's all yeah. in one shot. It looks cool. There's like mountains in the background. I liked it. And uh, Reggie's like, I'm not so sure. You sure she's not some just a wet dream, Mike? <laughs> Um, the widower is crying like a little baby at the funeral. Little bitch, Suck blubbering away about her dead husband. The 
priest is sweating. He takes a nip from his flask. He asks for forgiveness from God. The widower leaves and he stabs grandpa's body with a knife. Then he yeah. turns around. No, she hasn't left. She's right behind him. She faints. <laughs> it's a weird thing to witness. Uh, <laughs> it's a really fucking hard <laughs> thing to explain. <laughs> yeah. Also, is every, pre- every priest in a movie is either an alcoholic or a child molester. Yeah, right? yeah, they are. They're always yeah. alcoholics, yeah. Yeah. This movie was famously uh, heavily panned by the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> they were not into it. Uh, it was I can understand. Do- dogma and phantasm, too. <laughs> uh, Liz is in the mausoleum. She comes upon this muddy, steaming casket. The tall man claps his hand on her shoulder. We get a repeat of part one. Graveside service is about to begin. And she stumbles out of there. And then he looks down. He stuck his finger through a hat pin or something. And you get that yellow blood dripping. Mm-hmm. Um, you also see yellow blood coming from Grandpa's corpse. Yeah, so the priest is right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then he's in his quarters. He's shaking and pouring himself a drink. There's a scratching at the door. Damn this wind. He opens up the peephole, and the grandpa corpse is standing right there. Oh, shit. Uh, Liz is at home in, with grandma. I can't remember. Is she in bed with grandma, or is she just, like, checking in on her? I think she's just checking in on her. Okay. I don't know. This, this shit was like, I, I'm going to be honest, man. I zoned out a little you zoned bit. Out. I, zo- I zoned out a little bit, too. I mean, I'd take notes, but, like... This right. is the point in the movie where I do zone out. Yeah, it's like, um, uh, wake me up when Mike and Reggie get there. Yeah, exactly. Grandma's asleep. She hears some weird noises and wakes up and then gets up, lays back down, and her husband's corpse is right there, and we get her screaming over black. Mike and Reggie drive up past a girl on the road, and then Mike gets a vision of her in his head, of her dead on a gurney. And he's like, I was dreaming of this girl. And then I guess he falls back asleep because he wakes back up and she's in the car. Was she the naked lady in the mortuary that they were at? Oh, that's a good question. I actually don't know. That's a good question. I feel like maybe that's what we're supposed to, to uh, maybe. think at least. If you want to look it up, yeah. uh, I don't know if you have I'm, a way to. Yeah, I'll check on it. You keep going. Um, so she's alchemy. Kimmy for short. Played by Sam Phillips. We were talking about her before we started shooting. <laughs> you guys would be shocked to know that I think she is absolutely fucking smoke show in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> she is right up the old alley for for Eric. Except um, for one or two things, I guess. Well, no, that's <laughs> yeah, not with her type. That's it's okay. all good with me. Fair enough. Um and then so I knew her primarily because she was a radio show host in Los Angeles. Oh, really? She might still be. I don't know if she is. But back in the days when I was a pay, uh, page, that's how yeah. I called him, a PA, I would do a lot of driving. This was before podcasts. So I would listen mm-hmm. to. Um, listen to a lot of Tom Likas on there. Yeah, I was about to say, I would listen to Tom Likas, who was fucking horrible. And I yeah. didn't like him, but I would just listen to it because it was interesting and the only thing on at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Sam Phillips also had a show on that channel um, okay. that I would sometimes catch. So that's kind of how I knew her. Huh. But she had, after this movie, she we were saying she got some surgical enhancements and did a bunch of softcore stuff, like yeah, Cinemax so- stuff. 
some very 1990 looking uh, mm-hmm. fake boobs. And then, yeah, she's got a healthy resume of Skinamax type. Type yeah, appearances. I think maybe even the Bear Wench project, which has come up in the past on this show. Yeah. <laughs> did um, I, did but, I say on the show that we projected that movie onto the side of the building across from 80 Boylston? <laughs> yes, yes, you did. Okay, cool. <laughs> but man, in this movie, she just looks she looks like a hipster goddess. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like she could be dropped into silver like now and nobody would even look twice. I mean, they would. I mean, gorgeous. People, yeah, but. exactly. But they'd be like, yeah, this checks out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with um, you. That's all I have to say about it. So Mike tells Reggie. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, she's in the back seats. Kimmy, Alchemy, Reg, could you pull pull over? I got to take a leak. Cut to the two two of our guys taking a piss next to each other, <laughs> and she tells Reggie that she's in his dreams, and when she's in them, she's dead. Shit, Mike, have you looked at her? We've been out here a long time. It gets hard on the road. <laughs> Reg, you're thinking with your wrong head. Yeah, well, Reggie's wife. How long ago did Reggie's wife die? His wife just died. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Mike's been locked up for seven years. Yeah, if anybody Mike. has an excuse to think with, and his he's like other nineteen, head. he's like yeah. the most horny you'll ever be in your entire life. <laughs> it's just a walking jizz bomb. Reggie's yeah. like a forty-year-old widower. <laughs> Be honest though, if your if your whole family got blown up, you would be out on the town pretty fast. Right? <laughs> How dare you, dude? How dare you? I have tons of sex during this pandemic where I'm stuck with my son who doesn't go to sleep at night. How dare you? <laughs> um, uh then it's like Reggie, I think you're you're thinking with your wrong head. Oh yeah, I said that. And then uh, Reggie's like, "Well, you know, if she's with us, we can at least protect her. That's logical, right?" And Mike's like, "Well, in a horny sort of way, it is." And guess what? She's going to Perigord. <laughs> I hate saying that word. That's a fucking awful word to say. Perigord. Perigord. Uh, Liz checks in on her grandma. She's missing. The window's open, and her hat pin with that drop of yellow blood or that like baby foodie kind of blood is stuck to the side table. We hear the tall man, if you want her, come tonight. Reg, Mike, and Alchemy roll into town. It's a total ghost town. Uh, she hasn't been there in 10 years, but she's like, my uncle owns a bed and breakfast on the other side of town. We can stay there. Liz is in the cemetery. She gets to her grandfather's grave. It's dug up, and we hear the tall man, I've got them both. A lot of tall man doing some heavy lifting. Yeah. <clears throat> uh The bed and breakfast is all boarded up. And then Alchemy. Uh, well, Reggie just chainsaws into the front door. Um, as he's done twice now. Right. Which uh, I think is a solid. I mean, that's a cool thing to be able to do. To just totally. be like all these abandoned towns where it's like, yeah, I use this chainsaw to get in places. Uh, Liz approaches the tall man's house, I guess, the mausoleum in the cemetery and then meanwhile at the bed and breakfast the boys rig up this grenade at the front door so that if anybody comes in the front it blows mm-hmm. also a shotgun if they come through the window the grenade thing's really clever i i was like i remember the first time i saw this thinking the same thing but it's like it's in like two-thirds of a coke can with the yeah top it's like a cut off, off co- coke can yeah so they like put it in with the the latch or whatever on the side of it Mm-hmm. What do you call that thing? 
the the pin. Uh, no, because then you put it in and then you take the pin out, but the thing can't release. Like the arm doesn't release. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's it's wedged inside the can. So yeah, but, but then if there's it, a if string attached, a string, to it. yeah. And yeah. if somebody opens a door, lifts the grenade, mm-hmm. and triggers and the explosion. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, I felt it was very important to explain exactly how the grenade booby trap works. No, it's cool. I love booby traps in movies. They're fucking rad. Yeah. Um, Reg is like, you'll be sleeping safe tonight. <laughs> and Alka's like, as long as I don't sleepwalk, which I thought was funny. And she gives Reg a kiss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's already into him. Yeah. I mean, he has kind of animal magnetism you know he does yeah like he really he rocks the bald ponytail look the way one should i'm not i'm not joking for some of our uh if you are a killstreak listener who uh enjoys the company of men yeah uh, be you be you man or woman let us know if you think reggie's sexy yeah because i have a i know he's married and stuff but my theory is that the real Reggie Bannister fucked a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, the other thing too is like I remember learning about this on like TLC when they still did like ostensibly educational content, but they would mm-hmm. always do like you know hour long shows about sex, and you'd like mm-hmm. watch like two people have sex in like infrared. On in like infrared, yeah I, yes. I that. I <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. You like see a dude get a boner in infrared. Yeah, dude, fucking A. Uh, but anyways, but me, yeah, I remember learning that it's like baldness is actually like attractive because it is a sign of like increased testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, interesting. It's too bad. I, I didn't, you know, I'll never know what that's like. I, got a healthy <laughs> I, head of, I don't know. I got a healthy head of hair and one, I'm just going to assume a moderate amount of testosterone. I don't know. Yeah, I have low T for sure. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think that I do. I'm not gonna. I don't think I do either. Yeah, yeah. You seem pretty teed up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always pretty teed up. I'm teed <laughs> off, guys. Uh, Liz is wandering around. She sees one of the creepy, like pallbearer guys, put a corpse on a slab and starts yeah. to embalm him. And then we see that's the yellow blood. We get the explanation of why those people have yellow blood. It's the embalming fluid. Ooh, interesting. Um, I actually didn't another... put that together. <laughs> yeah, because well, it's not all chunky and stuff. What's that? Does yeah, he... I mean, maybe Does... it's not, but it looks the way it looks in the um. I, that's what I assumed, at least. Hmm. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Um, the boys arrive at the cemetery. They see one of the gas mask guys digging up a coffin. Liz follows the other gas mask guy through the mausoleum. We and learn we, that they are called gravers. That is gravers. What they're referred to as yeah. Oh, I missed that. Um, we kind of see we see the priest there hiding and praying. Um, Liz doesn't see him, but we kind of stick with him for a second, and he finds this tiny coffin and lifts the lid, and it makes this weird metallic hum. Yeah. It, it just I want I want to be clear because this I was like wait. It took me a second to remember where this was going. It's truly like he walks to the end of a hallway and it's like up on a, on like a shelf. It's like a coffin for maybe a cat. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. That's about how big it is. Like an infant's coffin. Right. Really young infant. Yeah. 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 He he like touches the inside, like hurts on like shocks him or something. 
and suddenly the tall man's right behind him. They have no need for your services. Who are you to question the word of God's servants? The, the tall man psychically chokes him out with his own rosary necklace and lifts him off the ground with it, with his mind. And we get this lingering shot of the cross, the crucifix, upside down. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, <clears throat> levitating, which looks great. And I also suspect it's maybe part of the reason the Catholic Church was not so hyped on oh, this you were, movie. Oh, you weren't joking. The Catholic Church really did have a problem with this movie? Oh, yeah. No, they really did like publicly go after it. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, yeah, probably this next line, too, because the tall man's like, you yeah. think that when you die, you go to heaven? You come to us, which I think is fucking rad. Like, that's a great yeah. line. Yeah. Might be my favorite line in the movie. And he drops him to the ground. The priest runs away. And then the little coffin pops open the side of it, not the lid. And out come three sentinels, and one of those babies is gold. And it's big. It's a big gold boy. Yeah, big old gold boy. <laughs> Liz is poking around in the mausoleum. The priest grabs her, get a jump scare. And um, he tells her that the, the tall man's been harvesting the entire town. And then suddenly a sentinel with, a, with like the spinning saw blade flies by. A saw blade pops out of this one, we, mm-hmm. which we didn't see in the first one. We just saw the two like yeah, just the fork two pokers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The saw flies by, slices his ear off. We get a great shot of the ear flying through the air. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and then it doubles back and gives him the classic stick and suck. Uh, <laughs> right into his head. And then the drill comes out and, you know, the blood starts coming out of the end of it. Although mm. I don't might step on something you're about to say. This no, was heavily definitely. censored by the MPAA. This yeah. in particular, because like, you know, like the first movie, we see the blood fly out and he like mm-hmm. holds it there and it's like, you know, it's shooting out. But that was also a big fight for them with the MPAA. Yeah. Was the amount of blood they could show in this exact kind of sequence with the with the sentinel doing this, you know, stick and stick and what now? Uh, stick. stick and suck. Stick and suck. Stick and suck and shoot. A classic stick and suck and shoot. Yeah. I don't know. I don't name him. I'm just reporting here. I know. I understand. I appreciate it. You're doing good work. He falls over dead. The tall man grabs Liz by the throat. Hello again and goodbye. (laughs) And he throws her against a wall. Really fucking chucks her. (laughs) And it's like a little funny. She's definitely like on a on a wire, like a shock cord. Yeah, I think they call them a shock wire. It's, it's pretty funny. She like bounces, like it's uh, it's a good stunt, but then also like gravity doesn't quite work because she like hits the wall and then like doesn't start to fall. She like yeah yeah bounces and keeps bounces off yeah. level. Yeah yeah. Um, a, a little dwarf like toddles up to her. And she sees it's like, it's like Liz and it's grandma. <laughs> um, she grabs Liz by the hair and drags her out. But Liz gets away. She smacks the grandma dwarf with a vase. Sorry, grandma. She runs outside, falls into a grave. And somebody with a gas mask grabs her. But guess what? It's not the guy who's digging up. He's not the graver. It's Mike. That's right. They kiss immediately. Just start making out. Start fucking making out. Reggie finds him. That would be uh, cool. to her to like find your soulmate like that. Yeah, like to yeah yeah. I mean, I I love my fiance. I'm really excited to marry her, and in, in in a way, she's my soulmate. If I believed in something like that, but it, wouldn't it be cool to just like meet somebody? That you like shared some sort of insane connection with, and you like had never spoken, but you just immediately started making out. 
That'd be rad. Yeah. Yeah. Hit, I, mean, I wouldn't want up, that to happen. Just <laughs> 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 to be clear, because Kendall listens to like one out of every 40 episodes of this podcast. Yeah, she's definitely so. going to pick Phantasm 2 to check out. <laughs> <laughs> You never know. That's just exactly uh, how, how it would go down for me. That's true. Uh, back at the uh, bed and breakfast, Mike lights the fireplace with the flamethrower, which is pretty funny. Um, Liz tells her story. <laughs> yeah. and Mike fills her in on his backstory about everything. Yeah, we just get some like, you know, backstory time. Then it's bedtime. Mike will watch over Liz. Reggie will watch over Alchemy. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, man, this scene was fucking sexy. <laughs> it's half sexy and half absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so like Mike, Mike and Liz go off on their own, and then Alchemy is kind of just like smiling, like she knows mm-hmm. what's up. Yeah, and she just takes her pajamas off. Yeah, she's, and she's fun. She just seems like she's a fun, fun hang, you know? Yeah, man, she's fun. <laughs> Yeah. It's hitchhiker girl. She she takes her pajama top off, and Reggie just shrugs and follows her. <laughs> Big alchemy fan over here. <laughs> she is um, truly turning something into gold. I forget what it's iron, steel. I forget coal. I don't know. Oh oh, because she's an alchemist. I get it. Yeah yeah. yeah lead right. into gold. Lead into gold. Thank you. <clears throat> Mike and Liz are sleeping next to each other, and suddenly they're communicating psychically. I love you. Your lips aren't moving. We're dreaming. Um, <laughs> this, is a way, this is a way lamer hookup. <laughs> it is a way lamer hookup. They start to kiss. Um, Alchemy and Reggie are fucking. <laughs> well, she's are just wearing, they, though? <laughs> I don't know, because she's wearing panties. Like, she's yeah, like... And- Mike's, I mean, Reggie's like wearing pants, I think. Yeah, they're dry humping. (laughs) Yeah, and she's wearing underwear. So, like, I don't know, maybe stuff's pushed to the side. I don't know. But she's like straight up, like, has one and, and like, swings an invisible cowboy lasso and is like, woohoo. Yeah. But she's suddenly the riding the horse full on dry humping, like, really Mm -hmm. going for it. Suddenly, a big explosion from downstairs. The door wait, blows. Reggie rushes, rushes Hold out. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry. Are you going to skip over the, the line? most memorable and most insane part of the explosion? Does that happen? Does that ha- does the does her line happen after the explosion? No, it's they're like God, Reg, I love your head. That line. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She happens before. Did you say that already? No, I didn't say. It. I kind of skipped over it, but you I'll say it now. That. When they're when they're dry humping, God, Reg, I love your head. She's like kissing all over his bald forehead. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true for me. It is the most noteworthy part of this scene, and <laughs> I would say that it is maybe the most memorable moment in the whole movie to me. Yeah, man. I mean, maybe I I don't know why I uh, skipped over it now. I guess I was more enamored with the uh, wahoo <laughs> moment in the fact you- that they're clearly not doing it. Yeah, um, yeah, she's like all kissing and rubbing up on his head. God, I love your 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 head, Rich. Anyways, <laughs> moving. He on. and Mike run downstairs. The grenade went off. The doors blown wide open, and Reggie's like, "I think it was a dog or something." <laughs> <laughs> Forget it, Mike. No one's here. Reg, who are you kidding? I'm a 19 year old kid. You're a bald middle aged ice cream vendor. 
He's getting cold feet. And Reggie's like, hey, man, come on. Knock this. <laughs> don't, don't talk Harsh, about me. Dude. I was just getting my fucking head worked on. Come on. <laughs> Give me some credit. My, Mike wants to leave, but Reggie wants to finish the job. Um, upstairs, Liz gets grabbed by the tall man. Mm. And Mike and Reggie are too late to get her. She gets tossed into the back of the hearse. Um, Classic tall man cock block. I wrote, oh, oh, I thought I thought I miswrote Mike. Uh, so what it is is Mike straight up dives into the the uh, the cuda through the window. Right. I I I wrote. I thought I I thought I wrote. Mike drives the cuda through the window. I was like, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. But uh, Alchemy wants to go with them because they're gonna go off and get Liz. But Reggie won't let her. He's like, take Liz's car, just drive south. But how will you find me? I'll find you if I'm able. Um, Reggie loads up his quad shotgun and they drive alongside the hearse. He raises his gun to the tall man through the window and the tall man sideswipes him, crashes into him. They flip over this big ass rock. Yeah. It's a really cool car crash. And another kind of, yeah, we're going to, sorry, I'm going to spoil it. Keep going. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm like literally ahead. I'm ahead. Oh, okay. Of you. Yeah. Um, we see like the muffler stuck in this flaming tree, which I thought was cool. Looks, yeah. looks rad. Mike was thrown from the car, but Reggie's stuck inside upside down. Oh, shit. <laughs> gas is leaking out of the uh, gas tank and dripping on the ground. And basically, Mike needs to cut Reggie out before the, the puddle of gas hits the flaming tree and goes up. It's cool. It's really tense. They get a knife. Uh, Reggie's like, come on, man, get out of here. I'll cut myself down. There's no need for both of us to burn. But Mike won't leave him. They get out just in time. The cuda blows. Um, what was, are you, was that part of what you Yeah, I was say, just or? excited about the explosion. I was just like, oh, this yeah. explosion's great. That's literally what I was going to say. It's fucking cool. Like, oh, wait, that's in like a couple minutes. Yeah. This movie is like a borderline action movie. Yeah, it feels that way. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great explosions in this movie. Liz gets wheeled into the crematorium. Reg and Mike go in to kick some ass. One of the creepy pallbearer guys fires up the oven and he's crushing the remains of another person who was cremated. Mm-hmm. Right. Pours them into a bag. We see it's labeled Mr. Sam Raimi. Hey, Easter egg for all you horror fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> Try and decode that one. <laughs> kind of a deep cut. I hope you are <laughs> have an encyclopedic knowledge of horror movies. Uh, Mike and Reggie get inside. Reggie finds this big bottle of hydrochloric acid. And he sees this embalming machine. Mm-hmm. And he's like, has an idea. He pours the acid inside of it. Let's see him try to cremate or reanimate anyone who's embalmed with this shit. Yeah, I mean it's, it's would I stretch. Call it, yeah, would I call it the most natural move to make in this situation? Yeah, no, probably not. No. But you know, who's the, who, what, what do I know? I'm not Reggie. It's a move. Yeah. Um, Mike finds this like slot in the wall that would like be perfectly unlocked by a sentinel. Um, and, and he's like, he's like, this must be the doorway into this world, into his world. It's like, wow, that's another giant Mike jump. 
in yeah. logic. <laughs> it's very it's very reminiscent of the first movie where it's like, wow, he just knows a lot about what's going on. When when you you were like, he finds a slot in the wall that would be perfect. I was like, where is this going? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's somebody on the other side. You don't know who it is, dude. I yeah. remember when I went to the fair. When I was, uh, where is this story going? Oh, you'll hear. <laughs> I went to the fair when I was a young man, young, uh-huh. a boy, a boy, more, more okay. boy than man. Okay. And uh, I was going to the bathroom, uh-huh. and I saw a hole drilled into the side of the the stall wall, and was like, "Why is that there?" It was. It was. I know what it is now. Yeah, was, uh, and I was like, "Why does somebody want to look at somebody else while they're pooping?" And, and so, I, like, I like plugged it up with like toilet paper or something. But yeah, it was a fucking glory hole. <laughs> and I, I was like, "Why say would... I've seen one in my life?" And probably oh, yeah, not I, since I, I was like a child. Yeah, I have for sure uh, there and like maybe like truck stops or some shit or like yeah. or in, the, in the back of like a fucking porno shop or something. If you've ever ventured into just to like look back there. Sure. Uh, they're back yeah, there. Look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, why would anybody want to see somebody poop? It's never. <laughs> as a more innocent man. Meanwhile, I'm like, un- forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't blow up your holes. Nah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not looking for glory holes. Maybe content I am, but not, sure. I just want to make it clear: I'm not in real life looking. <laughs> Should, it has to be real. There, do you think that there's a website <laughs> called The Glorious Hole? <laughs> or uh, what's the? Uh, and if not, should we buy that domain? Let's buy that domain. Um. All right. Here we go. We're back to it. <laughs> Email us at killstreakpod at gloriousholes.com. <laughs> yeah. Let us know where your favorite glory holes are in the LA area. <laughs> Pandemic's ending. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they want to catch one of the sentinels, put it into that slot. Fits in perfectly. <laughs> um, Reg and Mike split up to look for Liz. Meanwhile, the pallbearers and the pallbearer unstraps her, puts her on this like cremation track. I don't know, it's like those rolly tracks. Mm-hmm. She starts sliding, but the last minute, um, she starts sliding in, but rolls out, rolls off at the last minute. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. And she, he like grabs her, but she whacks him in the balls with a shovel, and he falls on the track, and he goes into the fire. We see his like burning hands slamming yeah, she, against the window. She slams the door shut, and there's some like intense burning to death screaming. Yeah, it sounds painful. Yeah, bad way to go. Reggie goes down into the basement. There's a guy with a gas mask down there, one of the gravers. <clears throat> yeah, excuse me. Before you get into this scene, I was just going to say, I wrote this note down for the whole movie, but this, I think, is one of the scenes that uh, has it the most. Or th- like, There's a lot of stuff I really love about this movie, but like when I'm talking about ways in which it maybe compares a little bit unfavorably to the first one, like we're in like the basement of a mausoleum, and it's just like everything in this movie is really well lit. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah. like, it doesn't have the mood, and it's like, 
like they I mean the first one is like it really they pull off something very hard to do which is like to shoot a lot of dark stuff in a way that is cool but it's like it's part of what makes the first one kind of scary and moody and this one definitely just feels like oh it's like fucking you can see everything and everything yeah it yeah. does it's like it does have that overly lit like studio feel to it yeah it should yeah. be a, it should be like 10% creepier maybe definitely. more definitely yeah um meanwhile Liz hears a sentinel coming af- after her she starts to run, and then right at the last minute, Mike pushes her out of the way. They run. The other pallbearers in there with them knocks over Mike. They struggle, um, and then the Sentinel flies at him. Mm-hmm. In the go ahead. No, I was I, I was going to say yeah. It's it is like a very similar scenario to the big Sentinel death in the first one, where he's like bear hugging her from behind. Sentinel's kind of coming for her, and then she like kind of weasels out at the last second, and then all of a sudden it's just bearing down on him. His hands are up, it sticks into his hand, pins it to the uh, door, um, and starts like you know, starts like trying to drill into his hand. It's fucking cool. Then the gold one flies up, and he's like, Oh, fuck no. (laughs) He pulls out a little axe and chops his own hand off to get away. It's fuck. It's cool. It's like some yeah. Evil Dead Two shit. Yeah, definitely. And it's like there's a great shot of him, like, like you know, it's obviously like a cut, but of him like pulling the stump away and like leaving the hand pinned mm-hmm. to the door. And is it shot like uh, Sentinel POV? Is that shot? some of it? I think. Some of it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like some of what we saw in the first one, where it's like everything's red, and yeah, it, 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 like you see him like leaving his hand behind and and bailing. It's it's great. It's cool. And then this is also more Evil Dead stuff because Mike and Liz run. Um, oh, no, that's not quite yet, but whatever. Um, Mike and Liz run. It bangs into the door. Like They slam a door. It bangs into the door. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Reg is fighting with the gas mask dude. Um, and he has Reg up against the wall, choking him out. But then Reg gets him in the armpit with a drill. He like pulls a drill yeah. out gets him right in the armpit that seems incredibly painful yeah i have i have a drill like that Mm. (laughs) for like those like big pilot holes and stuff and it's like scares the shit out of me yeah it's scary as hell um reg pulls out his little chainsaw come on you mother and the dude get the return of the mother (laughs) yeah (laughs) the dude reaches into a cubby hole pulls out a giant chainsaw uh, so then, meanwhile, Mike and Liz rest easy upstairs. Uh, I don't know why I wrote they rest easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, playing. oh yeah. So the, we did miss. I did miss the uh, Evil Dead shot where it's like the Sentinels like bursting through doors after them. Oh yeah, it's cool. Yeah, like, yeah. They'll sh- they'll shut a door, it bursts, it busts through. Mm-hmm. It's all from the point of view of of the Sentinel. It's it's cool shot. Yeah. Um, so they're resting, but then we see the gold sensor starting to burn a hole through the door. Uh, it bursts in. It has a laser. <laughs> and so this cool laser scans a room. A rat runs across a room. It blows it. It shoots another laser, blows it up. They run, and then it flies in after them. No, this is the shot. It flies door after door after them. Got it. It's yeah, cool. Yeah. They get to the last door. It's made of metal. It's like, ah, oh, the metal should hold it. And so they're in this casket showcase room uh, and the handless pallbearer grabs Liz and he's about to axe her with his little axe when the gold sentinel 
pops him in the back, sends him flying against the wall. These saw teeth come out of the sides of it, and it starts spinning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just starts, starts cutting a hole into his back, right into him, like drills into him. It's bouncing him all around. Yeah, and we and then, get this is like for anybody who's real familiar with Nightmare on Elm Street, we get it, it is very yeah exactly mm-hmm. like he's going up the side of the wall and then he's on the ceiling and shit. All this stuff they do with like a rotating room, you know, um, and it's cool. It's very like unsettling. It's awesome. Then we see his throat starting to bulge, and he collapses into a corner, kind of facing away. Mike turns him over and it's sticking like protruding out of his mouth with like the saw blades coming mm-hmm. out in a circle around his like chin and nose. I'm yeah. doing a motion here. You guys can't see, but then <laughs> but the drill is like coming out of his mouth and it's like, yeah. loo, loo, loo. it's like kind of yeah. trying to get out. It's like half heartedly worrying. It immediately reminded me of like, we have like an off brand Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> and it ate the and cat I, yeah no it's like the oh the fucking Roomba is caught on like a sock underneath the couch again and it's just like <laughs> yeah. um, I've always been tempted to buy a Roomba but also like my hallways are narrow so I don't know mm-hmm. I mean it'll do fine with I mean it, it gets around I mean this is a Yuffie it's not a Roomba mm. it does alright the main thing is it just doesn't pick everything up, and I would imagine that if you spring for like the really good Roomba, it will. But they're all really good at navigating the house, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. I should yeah. let me check on my Doge coin and see if I can afford it. <laughs> Piece of shit. <laughs> of course you can. Um, so back to the chainsaw fight in the basement. Reggie gets his like ammo belt cut off. He tries to run up the stairs, but he's grabbed. The gas mask dude is about to deliver the killing blow when Reggie just straight up chainsaws him with his little chainsaw in the nuts. <laughs> and he does Tough it size to matters. death. He must hit an artery because the guy dies. Yeah. And then he uh, turns around and fuck, there are four dwarves there. Wait a minute. Four dwarves? I might have the perfect tool for this, this uh, thing. <laughs> Pulls out his quadruple barrel shotgun. Boom. Shoots all of them at once. And then drops the gun. Yeah, (laughs) what the fuck? (laughs) That drove me nuts. Yeah, it's a terrible moment. No one should ever do that in a movie ever again. No one. Like, like I don't care if you're out of ammo or not. The only excuse for ever dropping a gun in a movie is if you are dropping it to pull out another gun, which is a thing that happens sometimes, you know? Like in the Matrix and stuff, like they'll like fire all the rounds and just toss the gun and pull out a different gun. And it's like, okay, fine. Yeah, that's otherwise. Otherwise, keep your fucking gun, you idiots. Uh, Also, I wanted to say, I don't know if the name ever gets mentioned, but canonically, these dwarves are referred to as lurkers. Lurkers. And yeah, and that is at least like on the Wikipedia and stuff, that is the term that they use to refer to them because I'm not sure. Also, I don't know if dwarves is something we, uh, if that's good or bad. If I think it is. That. I'm not is sure. That I, th- okay? I think it is, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. Um, correct me if I am wrong, guys. Yeah. Um, I, I truly don't know, but I know that on Wikipedia, they call them lurkers. Uh, and the Sentinels. Also, I don't think that's said in this movie, but that's kind of what we were calling yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like facehuggers. I don't think anybody calls them facehuggers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
Uh, so we get a quick sh- shot of alchemy broken down in Liz's car on the side of the road. Uh, meanwhile, Mike and Liz enter the mausoleum and she finds the sentinel on the door with a hand on it. Reggie like pops up, scares them and they're all reunited now. And Mike has the perfect, you know, now he has his sentinel to unlock that door. He pops it out of the door, hands it to Liz or something. And she hands it to Reggie. It's like they play hot potato with it for a second. And they keep the hand in it, right? They keep yeah, because it, it keeps hand. it like docile. Which is like another one of the things that Mike just knows that it's like, wait, what? He's like, it's in I flesh. think as long as tap. we leave it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, dude? Okay. <laughs> uh, so then Alchemy finds an abandoned hearse and hot wires it. Meanwhile, Mike inserts the Sentinel into that slot. And we get that white room from the first yeah. one. Uh, it, with the yeah. Two- is it set up exact? I forget if it's, is it like, does it have all the barrels lining the walls? It does like have the, the barrels version? lining okay. the walls, yeah. And it's the same tuning forks. I think they used them for all the movies because they're very yeah. heavy, I read. Uh, sounds awesome. There's this really intense hum. Yeah. And Mike shows Liz the portal. Um, and Reggie's like, hey, let's, let's torch this place, man. But the tall man's right behind him. Yeah. <laughs> Bad timing. He throws Mike into the portal, the tall man does, and Reggie tries to help him, but he gets sucked in too, so they're hanging on to each other, both into that red world. Reggie's yeah. like holding on to the sides of the portal with he his like wraps feet. A, yeah, he wraps one of his feet around one of the tuning fork posts and is like just barely keeping him in the real world. Uh, this is cool. So like they're in the red world, there's a barrel right in front of him, like kind of mm-hmm. inches away from Mike's face. The barrel pops open and this goopy lurker comes out and starts like crawling at him. He looks gross. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, the tall man has Liz strapped to a slab and he's going, well, he has her on the slab. He's going to stick that huge embalming needle into her neck. Uh, Mike and Reggie are able, able to get out right before the lurker gets Reggie. And then the needle's about to go in to Liz's neck. Hey, suck on this. <laughs> and Mike tosses uh, a sentinel at the tall man. It drills into his head, starts shooting, you know, that yellow blood mm-hmm. everywhere. Liz is able to escape. The tall and- man pulls it out, crushes it like a tin can. Yeah. I wanted to just ask briefly, because this was an interesting moment for me. I thought about it a little bit more with the pallbearer earlier, or the mortician. But it's like the Sentinels, do they not have any like loyalty mission? or mission? Yeah, it's yeah. Just their, I guess they're just aimless killing machines. I don't know. Yeah, it's never explained. Yeah. Uh, yeah you feel, you'd feel like they wouldn't attack the tall man. Well, and this but, is something uh, that I, I don't want to call it necessarily retconning, but if my memory serves, we eventually get more of an explanation of what the Sentinels are and what their deal is. I don't think it totally jives with this idea that they would, like, attack the tall man. Yeah, and I don't remember what that explanation is, but I will soon. Right. Yeah. Um, and this fucking weird beak tentacle pops out of the tall man's hole in his head. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's crazy. It's cool. It is. It's really cool. It's I mean, it's almost like a giant worm. Right. Yeah. But it, like it's it's attached to him. It's part of him. Does it have a little mouth at the end? It has like a snappy beak. It might yeah. be nails, though. It doesn't have a mouth. Okay. But it's like, yeah, 
it's like snapping at Mike. Um, Mike grabs a hold of it and rips it out, which is gross. <laughs> and then Liz sticks the embalming needle into the tall man's back. Reggie flips the switch. The acid starts going in. And boy, howdy, we got a melting scene. Oh, yeah. He starts melting. It looks awesome. His eyeballs burst. It's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> That's my new catchphrase has been pointed out. <laughs> we get a great, there's a really great, uh, sort of similar to the the big end sequence in Raiders of the Lost Ark. We get his hand melting away. Yeah, yeah. It also reminded me a lot of uh, Poltergeist. There's a scene like that. Um, yeah, it's cool. They definitely, you can tell they do it with like, they made a hand out of wax and like actually melted, melted it. it. Yeah. It's, I, I'm a sucker for that stuff. Oh yeah. It looks awesome. Reggie torches the place. They get outside. Alchemy pulls up in a hearse. Come on, let's go. They drive off. Everyone's triumphant. <laughs> Mike and, uh, Mike and Liz are in the back. There's a coffin in there. Like, Hey, let's check on this thing. Make sure there's nothing in there. They open it. It's empty. They alchemy like cheer. Like a yeah, fucking... like, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Alchemy closes the window uh, to the back, like the little partition, leaving just her and Reg. Hey, babe, I know you could have run, but thanks for sticking with us. She, like, playfully pulls, like, toys with her hair. Yeah. Rips a big patch off. It's just this big bloody hole in her head. She starts to laugh. He screams. The hearse starts going all over the place. Mike and Liz are stuck in the back. Um, like it stops, I think. And then Reg, bloody Reggie slams against the window and collapses. Then they drive off, leaving him there. And then Mike to, uh, to Liz is like, listen to me. This is not happening. We're going to wake up as a dream. And then the partition goes down. And it's a tall man. No, it's not. <laughs> and then hands reach to the window, grab them and pull them out the back. Yeah. Smash that rear window. It's just like the first at the end. It's the same as the end of the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say though, I think this ending, the tall man be like, no, it's not a dream. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> it's kind of a weak ending. Yeah. I agree. But here we are. That's the end. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, for body counts, we got, uh, Reggie's entire family, including <laughs> young Bonnie, um, grandpa, which doesn't really, I don't know if that counts the Liz thing. Uh, grandma, the priest, yep. the pallbearer who's burned by Liz, the the other pallbearer who's uh, killed by the gold sentinel, the gas mask man who gets uh, chopped in the nuts by Reggie, four dwarves to the quad gun, and the tall man, and I guess alchemy. I should include her. I don't know if I missed anybody. Mm. Mike, who would you say is your favorite death of the movie? Um, It's pretty close for me. So I feel like there's a good chance I'm going to steal yours, but hopefully, you know, I'm, I, I mean, it's a near tie. Yeah. Um, so I got to go with my gut instinct. And even though it, it turns out it's not a real death, I got to go with the tall man himself. The melting mm. mm-hmm. is the one that does it for me the most. That is my favorite kind of death in a horror movie is something mm-hmm. gruesome and detailed and creative and that involves clearly a lot of great special effects work preferably from some of the masters of the industry like 
Kurtzman and Nicotero. Uh, yeah, it really just, I, I love it. Yeah, I, that, that is, was one of my choices, but I'll go with my other choice, which is the gold death Sentinel, uh, yeah. the gold Sentinel death, um, by the pallbearer is fucking cool. They got that rotating room action. Uh, it really visceral kill because he screams through all of it. He, mm-hmm. The sound work is really great because you can like yeah hear it muffledly sawing inside of him. Right. It could be bloodier. That maybe I would uh, dock at some points on that, but it's really cool. Very memorable. The Sentinel deaths are always yes. highlights of these movies. Totally. All right. So moving along, moments that age are the worst. Uh. You went last time. I'll go this time. I mean, this yeah. I guess this is technically wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh is the uh them dropping like my house was infested by midgets. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not the proper nomenclature anymore. Sure. Um, sure. Uh I don't know. Do you have anything else of something that might not have aged very well? Um, I don't I didn't have anything that jumped out as being um particularly offensive in any way. I mean, I caught that too, yeah. so that's that's a good call. Uh, you know, this is if we think about things, I mean, again, I think, you know, I don't even think the overlighting thing is necessary of the necessarily of the time. It's more just like of the kind of studio production you'd see at this point in time. Yeah. Um, so I don't really have big complaints because I'll say this, too. This is an era that I really uh, enjoy. Like, I really, really like the looks of, I mean, this is no shock to anybody, but of, like, 80s horror films. And I think this is about as late as I will go and say, like, oh, I really like the way this is shot. But actually, I just reminded myself of something that I don't love that is sort of of the time. And that is, I think the score is really solid. And it's done by, um, I think, is it David Myro uh, again? Yeah, I think it's the same, yeah. Yeah, um, Fred Myra, that's his name. Um, but we do start to get creeping in that overuse of like when the synthesizer got too big for its britches. Uh-huh. And it's like, like we've talked about this before, but I'll keep repeating it. A synthesizer is cool when it's supposed to sound like a synthesizer. Synth scores that are trying to mimic other instruments sound like shit. Mm-hmm. And this one definitely has like some synth strings and like synth. It's supposed to sound like a grand piano. And it's like it's not it's like the the score itself is well done. But I just think the instrumentation and by that, I mean, the single instrument that they use, uh, it does smack of those kind of cheap scores that I don't love. Uh, you know, you're you're saying that, but also. I think the entire time I was watching this, I was like, this soundtrack sounds fucking cool. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I feel it. I think it's a valid criticism. Um, all right, then. Uh, we here at Killstreak like to rate how scary these movies are, and we're doing it now on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being the scariest, 1 being the not scariest. Uh, <laughs> I believe we gave the original Phantasm uh, an average of 7.5. Yeah, did I go scale? eight and you went seven? Does that sound right? I think that's what happened. Yeah. Okay. It's either cool. seven point five or six point five, but I think it was seven point five because six point five seems low. Six point five seems low. I was thinking about it some more, especially because I was comparing these two, and I was thinking to myself, you know what? The first Phantasm is a pretty scary horror movie, especially when you consider 
like the different kinds of scares, like not just the jump scares, but also like it's a movie about people dying and it's like uh-huh. dreamlike and kind of creepy, you know. So. Yeah, what so about I, this one? I think this one uh does lose a little bit of that. I do I think it might be a less scary movie, like more mm-hmm. less dreadful, full of dread. Yeah. than the previous one. It does make up for it with some more jump scares maybe and some uh mm-hmm. some certainly more colorful kills yeah, um yeah. but ultimately i think it is a less scary movie so i'm gonna go with a 6.5 okay i was um hovering right around six for myself because i agree with all of those takes and i think that and i think that you know also like i mentioned the lighting situation i think takes away from it too right it's just like mm-hmm. the dark the Things are scary in the dark. This movie's not very dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots and lots and lots of night scenes, but it's like they're all very well lit. And so, yeah, I will just go ahead and give it uh, a flat six, I think. So 6.25, is that what we want to say? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Okay. All right, there you have it. And then finally, Mary Fuck Kill. Uh, Mike, why don't you go first? Sure. Um... Yeah, I think this is a Mary for me. I think um, as far as sequels go, I like the comparison to Alien and Aliens is maybe a little generous to this movie. Mm-hmm. And to both movies, honestly. Like, I love Phantasm, but it is not Alien. Um, but I think that, like, this is a great way to make a sequel, right? It is different, but cool in its own way. And also a lot of the same DNA, too. So I think that it really succeeds in not just completely copying the first one. It goes in different places and it has a different kind of tone. But I think it's it's still very entertaining. I didn't have the big problem with James LaGrosse that some people do. I think he does fine. I mean, I don't think, you know, we'll actually talk about this a little bit more in our end segment. So I'll, I'll save my thoughts on that for later. But I, I think overall, um, I don't know how much it's an improvement over the first one in any way, but I think that that it is a cool and well done sequel in that it like manages to be its own thing and still be very entertaining. And um, yeah, it, it's it's fun. It's gory. Uh, it's right in our wheelhouse, right? It's it's like a little goofy. It's a little surreal. And uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed watching it again. excuse me uh yeah this movie is a blast i i have so much fun whenever i watch it um but i i do agree it does suffer a little bit from being compared to the first one but you know it really depends on what you're looking for there because there'll be nights when uh i'm more apt to throw on phantasm 2 than i am phantasm 1 that's Mm -hmm. not a knock against either of these um but i think at the end of the day mary mary not contrary I agree with you that this is a Mary. Uh, <laughs> it's one Excellent. of the reasons why I, I like this series so much. Yeah. Uh, is this a one-two punch of one and two? Yeah. Punching. Punching all Awesome. And we'll see okay. how three fares. We'll see how I'm, three fares and four very and curious. also five. Yeah. Yeah, um, I kind of know how five fares. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with a final segment. 
And we're back. We have a brand new segment we're about to unveil to you. Uh, it's been very well thought through. Yeah, Definitely did not just come up with the name of it in between the break right there. I don't know. Why do I have, why do I feel I need to point that stuff out? So much self-sabotage. Yeah. So much self-sabotage. I think that's something you can trace back through all throughout my life. Certainly in my career, certainly in my life choices. Mm -hmm. Um, I I am nothing if not a sad, broken man who feels hopeless, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. Mike, why don't you take it away? (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's good. Um, Okay, this is a brand new segment in honor of this movie that we have decided to call Recast Away or Recast Away. Uh, but like Recast Away, like Tom Hanks, Wilson, you guys know what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, FedEx. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, <laughs> FedEx. <laughs> uh, yeah, famously. We discussed earlier uh, one of the lead roles in this movie, Mike, formerly played uh, by uh, Michael Baldwin, recast with Hollywood hunk James LaGrosse in this film. Right. And Mm -hmm. some people say they don't really say for better or worse. It's usually like for neutral or worse. Right. That that tends to be how people come down on it. but uh, yeah, so I we we figured we'd talk about some other uh, noteworthy uh, recast jobs in horror sequels because that is the stock and trade of this podcast, mm-hmm. right? Um, but before we go into that, I want to ask you, Eric. So uh, we can sort of te- we demonstrate to people how this is going to work. So I thought it would be fun in honor of the Phantasm series. We'll add a little color to this. So you and I, we're gonna jump into our Hemi Cuda, all right? Oh, yeah. Let's uh, let's turn it on and gas that engine. Yeah, you want to hit the road, get a little change of scenery. Yeah, that's right, man. I like that. I like how you wove you wove in the the script of the first film. That's really nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I'm here for. Not everything you do is trash. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, so rev that engine up, and we are going to head out on the road and talk about some recastings, right? And this is how it's going to work. We're both going to weigh in on it, and uh, if we think it's a good recast, we're going to upshift that CUDA, right? Uh, <laughs> vroom, vroom. <laughs> uh-huh, just uh-huh, just uh-huh. go with me. I'm having fun, okay? Yeah, no, um, I like it. I love it when you have fun. Now, if it's, it's all a- about your pleasure. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's right. Well, I didn't get to find a glory hole when I was a kid, all right? so <laughs> I didn't use the glory hole. Sure, Eric, sure. Uh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I was a child. Moving on. If the recast job is one we kind of give a thumbs down to, we're going to downshift, right? We're going to slow down on that open road. And you know what? Sometimes it's, uh, it's a wash, right? And in that case, we're just going to leave that baby in neutral, which isn't really... What, how you, you know, drive a car? That's not how you drive a car, but neutral is a is a thing on a car, so we're gonna use that. Sure, for, yeah, for yeah. these purposes. Um, so just to kick things off, let's let's weigh in one more time on on the the recast that inspired this whole bit, uh, and that is uh, the switch from from Michael Baldwin to James LaGrosse. So you tell me, Eric, are we 
upshifting, downshifting, or leaving that bad boy in neutral? Uh, I think we're somewhere in between leaving that bad boy in neutral and downshifting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got, but I gotta give you, I gotta give you a firm answer here. Let's say, let's leave that bad boy in neutral. I think he does an okay job. I, I'm, I'm probably more of a Michael Baldwin mm-hmm. fan than a James Lagrosse fan, but yeah, hey, yeah, he does a fine job. Great. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you, Eric. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave things in neutral here because here's what I think. I think James Lagrosse, on balance, is a better actor than Michael Baldwin. However, uh-huh. I think like young Michael, I think Michael Baldwin in Phantasm is actually a pretty gifted child actor. Which yeah. is kind of a different animal, right? So, you know, like you said, no spoilers. Uh, Michael Baldwin's going to come back for the last three movies in this series. And I think his return is a welcome one. But I also think that as an adult, he, you, you know, I'll take James LaGrosse most of the time uh, as a mm. performer. But it is nice to have the, the mic we know back in the saddle. So I'm going to say... I th- yeah, I think also James LaGrosse probably aged a bit better than Mike does. Yeah, I didn't want to just shit on a guy's physical appearance, but... Uh, yeah, that's what we're here. Yeah, as, as is the case with most child actors, it's like, what looks good when you're 13 doesn't always translate to 35. Um, yeah. Lucky for us, neither one of us we were booked any gigs. looks good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you booked a couple of gigs at the fair there, right? <laughs> Again, I never used or utilized the glory hole. Okay, fair enough. From either side, you claim. A little uh, stick and suck. (laughs) Stick and suck and shoot. All right, moving on down the road to the next next exit. No, wait, pit stop, rest stop, rest area. The next rest area. (laughs) Checking out all the glory holes across this very nation of ours. Yeah. So, so the next one. <laughs> hey, pull uh, over, Reg. I gotta take a leak. <laughs> uh, um, so the next one. Let's talk about another series we've covered on the podcast. We're gonna have a couple in this rundown. Uh, but recently, or fairly recently, we did the Evil Dead franchise, right? Mm-hmm. And do you want to tell people what the next uh, recastaway? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. Is a nomination or round uh, or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up on Life next is a lap. Highway, I want to re- <laughs> Life is a Highway, I want to recast you all night long. Uh, we're talking the various Lindas that yeah. that uh, Ash has dated. Yeah, that's right. I think right. we have three, three different Lindas. Yeah, we have a different one in each of the first three movies. And we talked about this back when we covered Evil Dead, but in case you didn't know... It was mostly like a rights thing where they couldn't... Sam Raimi originally just wanted to reuse the footage from the first one when they were making Evil Dead 2, but they couldn't get the rights to the footage, so they had to shoot that stuff again. And the original Linda, who was played by Betsy Baker, was pregnant at the time. Uh, And so she was not available to shoot again as Linda, so they had to go ahead and recast her in Evil Dead 2. And the Linda from Evil Dead 2, uh, I'm not stalling. Uh, I'm just, you know, taking my time with this, is played by a woman Making a meal out of it. Denise Bixler. Denise Bixler. Ooh. Yeah. And then we get another Linda in the prologue of Army of Darkness, and that's played by who, Eric? 
Oh fuck! I forgot. Oh, uh, it is an actress, though. Yeah, no, it's, no. Um, sorry, I just assumed. Holly, you know. Holly, uh, Bridget Fonda. Uh, it's Bridget Fonda. Bridget Fonda. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't Holly mean. To, I didn't mean to make you look like an asshole. I just assumed you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to. I just did. Uh, so anyway, you never do, but you always do. Yeah, that's fair. So, how do we feel, Eric, uh, about the recastings of Linda in the Evil Dead series? So I think these actually kind of add to it. Okay. I'm going to shift up to first. I think it's kind of funny that it's a different girlfriend in every movie. <laughs> <clears throat> so are you shifting to first from neutral? Is that is that what you're From doing? neutral, yeah, because I think okay, we were still great. in neutral. Yeah, we Now were we're on neutral. the road. Now we're going. <laughs> I like this. I like the idea that this carries over from lap to lap. <laughs> I think uh, so. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, I'm in a, am I in a different car or are we in the same car? We're in the are, same car. Okay, but, so... But uh, you also have control of the clutch and the, the gear shift. <laughs> That's right. I just reach right on over, make sure I don't grab the wrong pole. Um, <laughs> so, so... Ease the seat back. <laughs> um, I am with you, especially because we ramp up to Bridget Fonda, who is always easy on the eyes, and also, you know, just the best actor of, of all the three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it is a fun running thing. And if if it was a meteor role for Linda in either 2 or Army of Darkness, I might say, oh, you know, that's a bummer for uh, Betsy Baker uh, from the first one. But it's like, uh, it's you know, they're like cameos, basically. So fuck Right, it. right. Recast them. It's fun. Why not? <clears throat> so I'm shifting this fucker up into second. All right, we're... Oh, oh wow, we're slowly cruising. moving now. Yeah, <laughs> all right, slowly cruising. All right, I just saw the flag uh, that signals the next lap uh, on the recast away. <laughs> <laughs> really committing to this bit. <laughs> just, just to be clear, recastaway is a reusable shell, but then within it, this is a car-based thing because phantasm. We are in a hemicuda for anyone who's having trouble following along. Uh-huh. We're in a classic 71 Hemi Cuda, and we are going to talk about Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. Do you want to tell the folks at home about the recasting in Sleepaway Camp? Yeah, so in the first movie, we have, uh, I think, an iconic performance by a one Miss Felissa Rose, also in uh, Psycho Sleeper over a movie I've made. Oh. I want to give that a plug. <laughs> Um, and she plays Angela. She does a great job. She's the main character. But then in the sequels, uh, she ends up returning again in a movie I haven't seen, which is like Return to Sleepaway Camp. Mm-hmm. But she ends up getting recast for the next two movies, at least two, by Bruce Springsteen's sister, Pamela Springsteen. Um, so, I, Mike, I know this is not one you're not familiar with the with the later entries in yeah. the series. I've only seen the original. With good reason. They're not very good, but they're okay. fun. Okay. Uh, I do have to say, though, the recasting of Angela is a definite downshift. Uh, mm. Pamela Springsteen, bless her heart, she's playing more of a broadly comedic, very annoying uh, mm. character, Angela. Yeah. Um, whereas the first Angela, you know, it's a ridiculous movie. It's intentionally campy, but I think the performance is a bit more nuanced and interesting. Sure. So that's a downshift from the old Egos. Okay, so we're back in first if I'm keeping track, yep. right? 
Okay. We are, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much my opinion should count because I've only seen Felissa Rose in the original. I don't know anything else other than what Eric's told me about the next two movies in the series. But I will say this. Pamela Springsteen, you say? Well, yep. I say down with nepotism. Uh, I am, <laughs> I'm tired of it, you know? Let's give these jobs to real working actors and not just sure. some famous guy's sister. So... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and downshift right with you, but I'm not going to take us in down into neutral or park. I'm just going to I'm going to gently put my hand on top of your hand as it is on the shifter. And then together <laughs> we'll move it centrally back into first. And the final destination of this is straight <laughs> off a cliff like in <laughs> Thelma and Louise. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say where it will end up? Anyways, um... Oh, I just heard an air horn. That means it's time for the fourth lap of uh, <laughs> the Recast Away 500 with the Hemi Cuda from Phantasm, which has never raced. Wait, we have 500 <laughs> laps? <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is this next one counts for 200 laps. So, oh, okay, great. So that is uh, this is a big this is a big one. This is serious Oscar material we're talking about here. Uh, a handful of movies that a lot of people claim are horror, and I guess that's technically true, but I always kind of find it hard a hard pill to swallow. But most of the internet seems to disagree with me, and I'm talking about, of course, uh, the Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, the Hannibal Lecter series, Thomas Harris books. Um, so in particular, I wanted to talk about the recasting of the lead Clarice Starling, played in an Oscar-winning performance by Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs, yeah. and then in the sequel Hannibal, uh, recast with Julianne Moore. And right. I want to know, Eric, where do you land on this particular recast-awaying? Well, uh, uh, no shade thrown at Julianne Moore, who I think is a wonderful actress, actor, sorry, but I think um, uh, the original Clarice Starling, played by Jodie Foster. Jesus Christ, <laughs> my br- my mouth wanted to say uh, ne- Nev Campbell for some reason <laughs> because I had her movie Nell stuck in my head. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, is just so iconic, so great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is also a downshift for me. Okay, shit. I do. Are, are we going to talk about the other? Uh, yeah, there's one more after this. With with silence. Oh, or another another Clarice Starling. No, because there's also the Brian Cox uh, in oh, Manhunter, sure. yeah. who eventually, with Silence of the Lambs, was Sir I Anthony Hopkins. Right. Yeah. So I might. I'm making a little audible here. I okay. think that is an upgrade, an upshift. So we're mm. we're sticking with the same uh, gear we were in before. We're in one. Wow, that's interesting. Okay. Um, well, man, you know, here's the thing: is I I have thoughts about this, which is like kudos to Jodie Foster for bailing on Hannibal. Um, I have a feeling she could see that train barreling down the tracks. She must have gotten a script and just said, "This is not going to be." Yeah. <laughs> This is not going to be a great follow-up to, uh, you know, all-time great thriller, Silence of the Lambs, and she hit the road, and good for her. 
But here's the weird thing. On on the whole, I w would say that I prefer Julianne Moore to Jodie Foster. I think she's an incredibly talented performer. Just in, in, in general. Yes, in general. If you're asking me who I want to cast in something and disregard sure, the 20-year I th I, I age actually, difference. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I do think that Julianne Moore is probably the superior actor of the two of them. However... This is Jodie Foster's role. She created Clarice Starling, so anyone who came in and tried to play this role is probably just going to do their, you know, they're kind of a, a faint echo. So I am with yeah. you that that is a definite downshift. Now, the audible regarding Brian Cox being recast with Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter, I hate to shake things up here, but that's neutral for me, baby. I think. Oh, really? I think Brian Cox is great in Manhunter, um, mm -hmm. and I think that Anthony Hopkins, while good, is a fucking ham. He is eating up the scenery in Silence sure. of the Lambs, and I think there is a subtlety to Brian Cox's performance that I sometimes prefer. Um, so I'm not going to say one is necessarily better than the other, but I guess that takes us down to we are now just coasting in neutral, Eric. We are wow. We are out of first gear. And we are coasting into the last lap because it turns out that this one uh, is now worth uh, the other 296 laps, I think, is roughly what we have left in the Castaway 500 featuring the Hemi Cuda from Phantasm. Um, so anyways, <laughs> this one, <laughs> we're going to head towards the finish line uh, with another... Uh, tentpole series from the history of Killstreak and because you know when people think about Friday the 13th they think about Killstreak first I think mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then they probably think about the movies and or maybe Jason Voorhees would be no I think we're we're definitely yeah we're I think at least amongst us at least amongst podcasts when you think about Friday the 13th you definitely think about our podcast Killstreak first, first yeah, yeah. Killstreak is the first podcast that comes to mind definitely the first podcast that you think of yeah when you think of horror movie series not yeah. anybody else. No. That cover, like, explicitly Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. Okay, great. Well, we got that out of the way. So this one is another fun uh, triple feature, right, if you will. Uh, it's like a three, what is it, like three axle, three wheels? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Three-seater? Anyway, Not everything needs to be a goddamn car. <laughs> We're talking about... Tommy Jarvis, who shows up in Friday the 13th, 4, 5, and 6. So we have, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me, we've got the final chapter, we have a new beginning, and then we have Jason Lives. Is that right, Eric? Yes, that's right. Okay, fantastic. So, in the very first appearance of Tommy Jarvis in Friday the, four, Friday the 14th, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, part 4, uh, the iconic role originated by the great Corey Feldman. Yeah? Uh-huh. We have a young Tommy Tommy Jarvis. Is that his name? Tommy Jarvis. That is correct. I'm falling apart. <laughs> Help me yeah. out. Corey Feldman in, uh, in, in the uh, final chapter. We have John Shepard in A yeah, New Beginning. Right. Uh -huh. And then finally we have Tom Matthews, who we yes. also know from Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, Killstreak uh, 1 favorite. and 2 mm -hmm. in Jason Lives. Yes. Did I get yeah. those right, wrong? No, okay. No, you right. got That's it. Right. You got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. <laughs> okay. 
Shift I'll it up, go baby. first. Let me okay, go great. first. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, so. First, the first one we have Corey Feldman <laughs> knocks uh-huh. it out of the park. It's one of my yeah. favorite movies in the series. Yeah, and then yep. we recast him for um, John Shepard. That is mm-hmm. a definite downgrade for me. Mm-hmm. Now we're. We're not even going anymore. Are we right. still in neutral? What are we? We're not in neutral. Yeah, we, if we downshift in from neutral, I guess we're going into park. We're just sitting in the middle of the fucking road. Yeah. yeah. But if we're going then now to Tom Matthews. Yeah. Going back up to neutral. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's an upgrade. That's an upshift okay. for me. Cool. cool. So here we go. Here we go. For my money, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Clearly, Corey Feldman <laughs> sets a high bar for Tommy Jarvis, right? Uh-huh. John Shepard, both the movie and specifically the guy, truly fucking sucks. He is... The only thing he's got going for him is a Beastmaster-esque physique. He takes his shirt off at Yeah, one point. he does, yeah. He's, like, weirdly ripped. Like, it makes no sense at all. But I'm going to go out on a limb here, Eric, and I'm going to say we're downshifting two gears, okay? Mm-hmm. So we are going... From neutral back to park, and then we're throwing it in reverse, <laughs> right? Uh, is that where we are? Where did you leave so. us? You leave and then left neutral? us in neutral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then we go from neutral <laughs> to park, and then into reverse, and then, like you said, we do have an upgrade back to Tom Matthews, who we like a lot from Return of the Living Dead. But I'll tell you what. He's not Corey Feldman. He is so no not, Corey Feldman, yeah. He's not upshifting us two gears to get back to neutral where we were when you left us. So he is going to put us from reverse <laughs> into park. So we've gone backwards a little bit. <laughs> and now we're in park. <laughs> we're in park? Is that what you said? We're in park? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so we're, we're parked. <laughs> okay. Oh. Deep breath. And uh. as always. <laughs> All right. Oh. And that brings to an end the recast way. <laughs> 500 uh, featuring the Hemikuda from Fantastic. <laughs> wow, that was quite the journey, or I guess it wasn't because we're standing still in the middle of it. That's right, the journey truly came to an end. Uh, oh. Wow, okay, guys, thank you for joining us uh, on this very special episode. This is the episode where we lost our fucking minds. All right, some uh, uh, business here, yeah. Uh, if you want to write to us, you can do so at killstreakpod at gmail.com or at killstreakpod on Instagram and Twitter. You can yep. send us messages there. We'll respond. We'll cover them on the air. Leave us a voicemail. Just follow the show notes. Um, write, Rate us and review yep. us on mm-hmm. I, uh, hmm, Apple mm, Podcasts. Got himself. That's right. Apple got him, caught myself this time. Yeah. Uh, uh, anything else what? I'm missing in that regard? No, no, you covered all of the info, the contact info. Please reach out to us. We love it. It's good. It adds, uh, you know, beef to the podcast because you guys know we run pretty short. Uh, so we're always like to stretch <laughs> things out. <laughs> 
No, but seriously, message us. Uh, we like it. Uh, next week, we will be covering Phantasm Three: Lord of the Dead from 1994. So another six mm-hmm. years into the future. This thing really moves through time. Um, it does, I believe yeah. I believe this one is available on Tubi, right? You, we, yeah, we felt I like the whole so. series I think, I think is they on all Tubi. are, yeah. Great. Uh, yeah, so check it out and then join us uh, again next Monday. We're looking forward to it. Hell yeah. And as always, you think that when you die, you go to heaven, you come to us.